0: Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. With your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroud. All right, well, we are live, everybody, and we are starting off Coco Talk number seven. That's this many. And, uh,. Coco Talk number seven is going to be talking about stuff for beginners, or let's just even—I don't want to, put, want to put a label in there, but let's just say this is the non-technical talk. We're going to try to make it the non-technical talk. So the um, the discussion came up on Facebook. I think it was Curtis who first mentioned this. That why don't we do one that's not so technical? And you know, because maybe some people are watching this and maybe are possibly intimidated by what's being discussed if they don't know what we're talking about or what those guys are talking about, because for the most part, I don't know what they're talking about either. So that's okay. Um, So yeah, so our purpose here is to talk about basically um, if you're new to the color computer or you're just not that savvy or not that technical and you want to have some questions, simple questions, basic questions, it doesn't matter how small the question is, doesn't matter how easy the topic is, we'll be happy to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about. For the color computer. And that is kind of where we're going to, you know, that's what the show is about. And so, who do we have with us in the call today? From Australia, again, we have Nick Morentes. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, everyone. Uh, Curtis Boyle is with us from O Canada, as well as Bill Noble and three. Actually, the, the three people up top are all foreigners, right? We've got the uh, Australians and the, <laughs> <laughs> <We're> the <best. laughs> and, and the Canadians. And and the Americans are on the bottom of the screen and the foreigners are on the top of the screen. So there you go. So, yeah. Uh, so then we have Bill Noble and Bruce Moore. Welcome. And then we have Mark Overholzer with us again, David Ladd and Grant Leedy. Leedy or Lighty? I'm going to screw this one up. Leedy. Leedy. You know what? And you know what's you know what's cool about that? Because my daughter's middle name is spelled Lee. That way too. L-E-I-G-H. Lee. That's cool. Lee. And David Ladd is here. Uh, and hello to everybody who's watching, although it might just be us watching ourselves right now. I'm not sure if there's any legitimate viewers <laughs> at the moment in the live stream. So uh who wants to start things off? Does anybody here have a basic question and when I say basic not necessarily the language but that could be the language too. Um, anything you guys want to talk about where do you want to kick this kick the show off?
1: The first thing I wanted to mention is you should plug your your basic programming tutorials you're doing on
0: YouTube. okay because thats that's right along this topic line so okay. Yeah, I'm doing basic tutorials on YouTube, and um, that is me going through the language. Basic is the programming language that was very popular in the 80s. I think it started before then, right? So basic is what most home computers came with in the 80s. When you turned on the machine, you were at a prompt, you were in a programming language, and you Mm -hmm. had to literally tell your computer what to do. And um the cool thing about basic for me was learning it on the cocoa was that nice, big, thick book that it came with that was very cartoony, very <clears throat> simple to read. It was broken down step by step. There we go. There's Bruce showing it on the back of his shirt there. Yeah. And there's uh, Mark holding up one of his copies. Right. So um basic on the cocoa was um very easy to learn, you know, in kind of a a uh, step-by-step process, and it introduced me to programming and computers and stuff. And, um, and I think most people who owned a computer in the 80s probably say, you know, if it wasn't for that machine, I might not be doing what I do today, whatever that is. For those of us who are in the uh, technical arena, if you're in IT or if you're a programmer or a software engineer or whatever that might be, you're probably saying, well, for whatever, if it wasn't for computer A, B, or C, for my Apple, my Atari, my Commodore, um, you know, then I might not be doing what I do today. Michael Brandt is here. Hey, Michael. Michael, if you want to join us in the Skype call as well, try to call us on Skype if you want to actually talk, talk, and not just chat. So, yeah, so I'm doing a series in basic, and I'm trying to reteach myself the language, and the goal is when we're done, and we're close to being done now, uh, is to make a game because that's what I used to do when I was a kid. For me, the Coco was never meant to be a serious machine. Um, I bought it to play games and I made games. So I'm either playing games or making games. That's all I did for the six years I had my cocoa. Uh, and what do I do now with my cocoa? I play games with my cocoa, right? Am I going to try to do anything serious with my cocoa? Am I going to try to turn my lights on and off? No. Am I going to try to run an operating system? No. Um, am I going to play games? Hell yeah, right? And so um, my interest in computers has always been recreational. There, I've used them as a way to entertain myself. So Richard is here. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to call on Skype, let me see if I have you coming up on my screen. Um, I need you I need you guys to just uh, try to call me on Skype, and I'll see if I can add you to the call if you want. Richard's here. Michael, Brand, oh, Michael's at work. He can't. Oh, so Richard, you're saying you're at work too? That's fine. So I probably spent way too long saying what Curtis just asked me to say. But, yeah, there's a series there. So if you want to learn that, you can watch that, and you can learn it. And boom. All right. Done.
1: <laughs> and, and
0: just to mention, too, I
1: mean, I'm talking to other computer users from the 8-Bit Era, too. Um, the first generation of the Coco manuals, the big wide ones for the Coco mm-hmm. uh, Basic and then Extended Basic, are almost universally acclaimed as being the best and the easiest to learn from from all of the eight bits. Yeah. So it's it's a nice computer to pick up uh, to try to learn, you know, basic programming on.
0: It's it's ironic that the machine that we ended up using had one of the best basics, supposedly one of, from what I hear from you guys, uh, one of the best processors for the 8-bit processor, the 6809. I don't know anything about assembly yet, but uh, unanimously everybody says that that CPU is a joy to program for uh, as far as assembly goes. So we got. Uh, one of the best cpus and one of the best basics um what was cool for me was transitioning from a coco to ms dos was a was a very short curve like when dos came out and the and then the ibm pcs and compatibles came out um you know people were taking classes on how to use dos just to learn how to load software into their computer you know um Basic was Microsoft Basic, and our our disk commands were made by Microsoft. So, enabled able to use the directory command to list the floppy and stuff like that. Um, I didn't have to learn a lot to learn how to use DOS and learn how to use a PC and even how to program a PC because Microsoft Basic on the PC was, again, a very short curve to transition to. So, yeah. uh, I kind of lucked out that the my my starter machine was a very easy stepping stone to. Um, the the big leaks you know
1: yeah and ironically the, the coco disc controller by total accident is actually able to read you know ibm pc discs from that era as well if with the right software the controller is totally compatible
0: very cool was that technical by the way what you should have said there <laughs> <laughs> now reading discs is pretty basic i think
1: <laughs> Technical if i explain how it works
0: yeah right <laughs> One of the questions. Got that, some, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the questions that came up on the mailing list too that maybe we can address. Um, you know, we, we run into we run out of things to talk about was, if you were to buy a cocoa, if you were to have only one, what cocoa? What would be either your favorite cocoa or what's the best cocoa to have? So maybe when we get around to it, we can talk about the difference in the machines and what. Different machines, what software can and cannot run on different machines. And if you were, if you don't own a Coco and you had to buy just one, what should you look for? So maybe we can talk about that at some point in time. Maybe talk about different emulators so if you want to use an emulator um, to play Coco stuff. and Things like yeah, that. Yeah, because we when we're saying
1: beginner questions, we're not referring just to programming here. It might just be, you know, like what hardware is compatible with what version of the Coco? Like if I want to buy Coco SDC, for example, does that work with them all? Um, it can mm-hmm. be anything on hardware, like how do you plug in an ORC 90 pack or... What's a multi-pack for or whatever? It doesn't have to be programming related. It can be anything.
2: Well, I've got a good beginner tip. Make okay. sure you power off before you plug anything into the computer. Ah, yes. <laughs>
0: yes. <Yeah. laughs> the terms plug-and-play and, and hot-swappable do not apply to 8-bit technology, right? Except for maybe the joysticks. Right. Uh, turn off so your color computer. Make sure it's turned off before you insert any cartridges. Good tip. Yep. Yeah another good tip too is make sure you always save what you're working on because <laughs> when it, it won't it, the computer will never ask you would you like to save this before closing it just won't do that you know I, I even have to I, like works. when I'm working on my my basic series now, in VCC, VCC is technically it's a Windows app, but when I click on the X to close it, it's not gonna. It's not like Microsoft Word that's going to say, would you like to save this file? If I close VCC and I hadn't saved my program I'm working on, I lost my program. So you got to remember to save and save often. That was the rule back then. Yeah, but save. save was not there. Yeah. It's
3: just emulate visual hardware because you turn the yeah. power off when you're,
0: you know. Yeah. That's and exactly perfect. it. Exactly it. Yep. So the Cocoa did not, when you when you went, like even now in Windows, when you go to shut down Windows, if you have files open, it'll sometimes prompt you to close the files that are open before it shuts down the machine. Old hardware didn't do that. You turned it off, boom, it was gone. You lost power, boom, you were gone. So uh, the, sa- the same thing happens with a modern computer. If you turn the power off, it, it also just turns off. Yeah, if you lose power, yeah. There's not, yeah. M- not much we can do against that. Yeah.
1: I mean, some of the later Cocoa programs, like some word processing stuff, actually would, if you were to hit the quit command, but you hadn't saved your buffer, it would prompt you. But that, that whole autosave thing didn't really come out for years after the original Cocoa came out, so. Well,
2: that became a programming skill to remember to save somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's painful, learned
0: one, I think.
1: Especially if you're Rick Adams and your power supplies failing, because, uh, oh
0: my God, <laughs> <laughs> it was mission critical for him. <laughs> So, who out there watching right now has a question for us, or a comment, or anything else you'd like? I, to know if you about look in
1: Skype stuff? chat, there is somebody asking a question. He says he has a basic ASM question. Okay. Was <laughs> me, Bruce. Oh, that was you. <laughs> okay. I, it just says live Coco, so I couldn't be oh, sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well,
2: oh, whatever. Yeah.
1: And this didn't have to be about basic. It'd be about any any beginner question on whatever sub platform of Coco. So go ahead.
2: Oh well, I, you know. i I'm trying to get my Forest of Doom game done, and I want to put a little, uh, a little bit of machine code in there. You know, it's been a really long time since I've done that, and it's like, wait, now how do I, how do I make this position independent, and how do I get it out of there once I've assembled it? Because I guess what I've done in the in previous times, I would, uh, I guess, what is it, the clear command? You clear some space, and you, and you set the. Yeah, the boundaries. It it, so it yeah. yeah, the boundary. You set you set beyond that. But of course, I was doing that on a 16K cassette, I think, at the time. And so, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd rather have something where I can just put it wherever I want and, and not, you know, not have to worry about whether it's going to load on a disk system or not. I just find that all kind of confusing the, right now.
1: Okay. Nick's probably one of the best ones to answer so that since he does the most RS assembly programming. So, did you want to touch on that, Nick?
4: Uh, well, if you want to just make it position independent, just have to avoid uh, jump jump commands in the um, in the code. Everything else are, is relative anyway,
5: okay.
4: and don't do any um, direct accesses to the the code itself. Um, then it becomes just position independent.
2: Would you avoid the org command? Is that thing?
4: Uh, I think you. If you could say org zero, and then when you load it, I think you can do a load um, comma, yeah, comma offset. Yeah. Yeah. So then you you tell it where to load. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then if you have a sixteen k machine versus a thirty two k machine, you can just you know you know check with a basic a little call or something, or just to check to see how much RAM you actually have, and then you can actually offset load it for the top of sixteen k or the top of thirty two k. You still have to do your little clear clear trick but
2: right that but that changes if i'm using uh disk basic though right doesn't that move it or something or grab some space or
1: you know, disk, disk basic will shove stuff at the bottom of memory up because it allocates some room for disk buffers right after the text screen i'm getting a little technical sorry <laughs> but um basically most of the time you're loading the machine <laughs> language yeah <laughs> Most of the time, when you're loading a machine language program to run from BASIC, you're loading it at the top of memory, so that part doesn't move unless you've increased the amount of RAM in the machine. So 16K, it's at the 16K line; 32K, it's at the 32K line. So if you're doing it for 32K, you're regardless, and you you don't have to worry about cassette or disk because it'll always load up at the top of the 32K space.
2: Right. So that I think that explains the problems I've had because I think my I basically gobbled up all the memory, uh, so it would work on a cassette, and then on but I try and go and get it onto a disk. Of course, it it, it gobbled up some of the space, and
4: uh, yeah. and then setting that
2: boundary would have not worked anymore, Probably that's what happened.
4: Is this program for um, a Cocoa 1 and 2 or Cocoa 3?
2: Well, I, I'd love it to stay compatible with a Cocoa 2. If I can manage okay. it, uh, I'll have to do some testing, I guess, and see. But it's, I'm not using any Cocoa 3 graphics or anything. So. Yeah
1: okay yeah now if you put it up at the high part do you know if it's going to require 16 or 32k RAM or is it variable or do I know how big the program is <laughs> Yeah. Or, or how big yeah. it's going to be when it's done I, I not yet I don't know like yeah because if it's 32k required then you, you, you can just use like depending on how big your routine is you can just clear whatever string space you need comma ampersand H 7F00 or whatever reserve the top right. 256 bytes or however much your, how big your routine is and that'll work on cassette or disk it won't matter Okay. The one thing you would have to worry about is if you're pushing your thirty two K to the limit with your basic program, then it might say fit on a cassette system, which gives you a bit more RAM than a disk system does because disk you know reserves some space for buffers right. and stuff.
2: Yeah, see I've got a couple of old games which I, I have un- I've not been able to get to run on the Coco three because of this. And I so I gotta get in there and tinker with them and patch them somehow. So I gotta look at the okay. I'm
1: sure like Bill or Nick or myself could help you with that.
2: Awesome. Over yeah sure.
0: that's, that's that's what's great about having uh, our you know our little community is that if anybody has a question it could be a technical question it could be a simple question uh you post it out there chances are somebody's going to know the answer to that either in the facebook group or in the mailing list or both um though so there's there's no shortage of knowledge and skills and experience and everybody's willing to share it which is always great um It's very cool stuff. Cool things have have happened from that, like the fact that we're looking at bomb threat right now, you know, (laughs) bomb threat in the making. (laughs) The lost lost game is very cool. Um, I'm going to switch my screen over to a second to show something full screen because this is a question I've been asked before. And that question is, is, if I want to hook up a color computer to a modern TV, what do I use? Now, this is the standard cable that came with the color computer. It's called an RF cable, and it's basically like a coax cable. This connection here is called an RCA cable. What we used to have um, back in the day was this would plug into a little switch box that we would switch between TV or game, and you turn your your television to channel 3 or 4. What you can get now is a very simple adapter that you plug into your modern televisions. This is a coax connection, because all of our TVs now have a coax input. That box was designed for rabbit ears. You had to screw them onto the antenna leads. So this is what's called a coax F connector. F is in Foxtrot. And so on the one side, it has what screws onto your TV. And on the other side, it has the female input of this RCA cable. And so you would just basically screw this onto your television. You would plug this RF cable here into this guy here, which I'm having a hard time doing right now. Um, You would plug him in, and then you would plug the other end to your Cocoa, and you switch your cocoa to channel three or four, you switch your TV to channel three or four and then boom, you can watch your cocoa on a modern TV. So um, what most people see like because when you see uh, cocoa on eBay, a lot of people say, well I can't test this or I couldn't verify if this is working because that little input on the back of the cocoa, which I'll just I'll just grab one here. All right. So I mean here's the back of a color computer. This input right here, which uh, this looks like what should be what we call a composite input, right? Because it's the same type of cable. And with composite, you had one that was yellow for your video. You had red and white for your stereo. So this looks like composite, but it's not. It's actually what's called RF, radio frequency. And it's actually outputting audio and video over one cable. And that got converted back to your television. So this little adapter here, this is called a... uh, Uh, Coax F connector to RCA adapter. They're very cheap. You screw this into your TV You use the same cable and then boom you can get your cocoa On a modern TV just just put your TV on channel 3 or channel 4 and this would work for any retro system any video game console Any old computer anything that had that RF type cable, so just FYI, okay, Richard? Okay, Richard, I screwed up your name last time. I'm not going to try to pronounce it this time, but it was... Uh, let me see if I can get it right. It was Lor B. Richard Lor Biesky. I have a question about real-time clocks. Is there hardware available new for real-time clocks so I don't have to enter the date and time on power-up in Nitrous 9? I used to have one from Burke & Burke.
1: Yeah, that was a smartwatch, I think, Burke & Burke used yes.
3: Can't you use a no slot clock on uh, the Cocoa under
1: like a ROM? Yeah, that's what the smartwatch did. Oh, I, okay. I'm assuming those are still available, right?
3: Uh, I actually. Actually, a bunch of old stuff, old stuff you can get from China, but the batteries are getting kind of long. There's actually an Apple group that makes a chip that has replaceable batteries. For Forty dollars. I can find the link yeah,
1: that that should work then, because I mean, the smartwatch itself, it had the battery built in, which is one stupid thing about it, because once the battery was dead, this clock didn't work. Well, yeah, yeah, basically you just piggyback to ROM on it.
3: Right. One thing is they did have an external line, so you could technically tear them open and then, you know, find the power line and put an external battery on it. But, yeah, let me find the link for the Apple people that have a new uh, no-slot clock with replaceable battery. All right. Yeah. You might need no, to paste it into so.
0: Skype first. If you paste it into Skype, I should be able to paste it into YouTube. I don't know if you've got the permissions to paste it to YouTube, but I'll pass it along for you. Okay. No.
3: Nope. We find it here. There
0: used to be other
1: Um, clock chips too, but I don't know if any of those are still around either. So,
0: so, so Burke and Burke, was was that just a standalone real-time clock card or was it built into like a disk controller or a multi-purpose card or something?
1: Well, because it piggybacked in a ROM, you could stick it like in anything that had a ROM in it that you were regularly accessing. Some people put it on the floppy disk controller. Burke and Burke sold it as a bundle with their hard drive controller with their auto-boot ROM. I mean, there was multiple mm-hmm. ways you could do it because it just piggybacked on the ROM. You wrote a certain sequence on top of the ROM, and if you, I think it was 64 bits, if I remember correctly. If you wrote a certain sequence out, it would say, oh, you wanted to access the clock, and then you could you know set the time or read the time or whatever and,
0: and then go back. Richard says it was built into the Birkenberg uh, hard drive controller. Yeah, the big but metal you, thing. Okay.
3: Probably sat underneath the ROM for the disk extended, base. Um, actually I have a Birkenberg right here.
6: Um, it's part of the card adapter. Um, it's, uh, because usually the Birkenberg for the MFM used, uh, adapter, which plugged into the Coco's multi-pack or your Coco, and then a old XT 8-bit MFM card would then plug into it. Um, and then, but the RTC is actually part of the Berkham-Burk's adapter itself. So the PC's MFM card just had the Coco's ROM in it.
0: Yeah, that was the XT ROM is auto boot ROM that Chris Burke made. Yeah, it sounds I like a, such a. an elaborate. It's such an elaborate hack job if you think about it. Because I remember them uh, uh, the talking about this in the Coco Crew podcast in one of the tech segments that the the controller it was really just a bus adapter i just converted the yep. bus coco bus to the pc bus um but it sounds like there was some value added stuff to it as well i mean it's pretty elaborate um it's a high-tech you know <laughs> high-tech hackery uh. <laughs> mainly done for cost because at the
1: time uh, the Cocoa up till that time you was using sassy or scuzzy drives and sassy were like really old and hard to find scuzzy was expensive yeah. and then once the uh Birkenberg came out of that. I mean, the price of a hard drive for a Coke would literally drop 40% overnight because you could use just standard PC ones, and you could use MFM or RLL depending on which controller from the PC you had.
0: Mm-hmm. All of I which are. All the acronyms there. Yeah, yeah, those were those were different. I I remember the the abbreviations. Um, I think it was Western Digital or Seagate that made the hard drives, and it was just. When you bought the, the only thing I remember about them was that I think it was the MFM hard drives, which is just a, 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 an encoding technology. Those were always even numbers, so you had a 20 megabyte or a 40 megabyte MFM. The same physical drive on an RLL controller would be an odd number, so you had like a 30 megabyte or a 60 megabyte. So uh, when you were look, if you were to ever to look at the um, Heads track sectors and cylinders on the drives. I think they were physically almost identical drives, but it must have been a different encoding method that allowed them to cram more space into the surface area, or something like that. Yeah, David's uh, actually showing his Birkenberg. Okay, there's the Burke. And Burke. So uh, let me make that big. And um, so in the center of the screen here, that's that's the tip. That's the you know classic. Uh, battery, like that lithium ion kind of watch battery that was used on, on PC motherboards, too, that would keep the clock information there. So that's the battery for the clock. Where's the actual clock itself?
6: It's one of those chips that are on the board
1: there.
0: Next to the battery? One of yeah. those little chips, yeah. Is that
1: the...
6: That's
1: yeah, impressive. Is, is it under like the like XT a... ROM chip?
6: Um, David? I don't know. I probably
3: have to. Could be the small one it's to the battery, too. The actual... Here, uh, let
6: me remove the stupid uh, PC uh, card here.
0: <laughs> oh, crap. Don't break anything.
6: Well, Flat I don't that. have any working MFM drives anymore anyway, uh, so it doesn't such, quite yeah. matter.
0: Set your phone down oh and use two hands. Oh, my
6: goodness gracious. That's a jumper nightmare under here, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
1: really was cool. just a generic okay. XT card adapter because Burke, Burke actually demonstrated it running with the Logitech ScanMan,
0: you know, scanning pictures and stuff with that same uh-huh. card. You just had to right, have the right drivers. So what What he's showing right now in the center of the screen, that's the actual Burke, and Burke adapter? Yep.
6: Yes. Okay. The, this thing right here, this part right, right there is the Burke. And Burke.
0: So the gold and from the, the battery the, connection. Yep.
6: The battery connection from right here goes from right over to here to this via, and then comes over here under this chip. So this must be the RTC right here.
0: Okay. Okay. The real time clock. No. And so, so
6: technically, since this is a, a probably, I would hope is still available. No, that's not it. That's a seventy four LS 4
1: it was usually under the ROM chip, so check the XT ROM. If it's got that weird plasticky socket thing under it rather than a regular socket, that's probably it.
7: And now, these messages. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive Realistic 77 AM-FM stereo receiver.
4: Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching, in a genuine
7: walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The
4: sale-priced Realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company.
0: Hey guys, Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. Featuring hand-drawn custom designs and pixel art by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. We've got the brand new official Cocoa Talk t-shirt, I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and all kinds of other cool video game and arcade related artwork. Check out 8bit256.com for all your retro swag needs today.
7: Hi, it's Glenn Hewlett. I'm here at Cocoa Fest 2017, and you're
3: watching uh, Original Gamers, Stevie Stroke. Yeah, you know, well, it makes sense because they take less
1: board space. I know in my know. Birkenberg, it was actually the XT ROM socket you plugged into the smartwatch but then plugged into the PC card, where the PC card normally would have its own ROM.
6: Now well, I'm trying to rip out the XT ROM. Right now, no. Nope, it's just a live. We get to socket. watch David
1: destroy a chip.
6: <laughs> no, I've got one of, I got one of these chip pullers right there,
1: so that's not a problem.
6: Right. They, uh, reality, there's the XT1. reality television
2: here. Yeah.
1: what's a the fun yeah, in that? There's
6: Just a plain socket. <laughs> so just
1: plain socket. Okay.
6: Uh, um, so it looks like we've got a seventy-four LS, although it thought that was going from the battery connection. Huh. Or maybe that's the ground line. But then we also have 74LS0000. Ah, there it is. Dallas.
1: Dallas Semiconductor, right. Yep.
6: That's it. Yep. That's it. DS1215. So technically someone that had some decent skills for dealing with PCBs probably could make a card that could still reuse that chipset on the Cocoa.
3: Yeah, they're actually available. I posted a link to an eBay auction. You can get them from China for 10 bucks or so.
0: All right, let we me should. find that link, and I'll put it in the... Uh...
3: Yeah, that's new old stock stuff, but if the ones have the integrated battery, uh, then you're going to be in trouble. I'm looking for this uh, new board, though.
0: Okay, I'm sure... Yeah, that would we'll... be interesting to have. Okay, I'm going to paste that in there. Yeah.
4: Yep. New old be... stock.
0: Okay. Hello, Jakers33.
6: How to try to get this thing back
0: together. <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool. So and the as a real time far...
1: clock, I should just mention. Um, like the question was originally about running it under OS nine, but if I remember correctly, ADOs also supports the smart watch. So even under basic, you can actually access the real time clock.
3: Hmm.
0: So there's no like all in one board right now that has that built in. It's not built into the Coco SDC or anything else like that.
6: Super no, IDE has one built into it does okay. Yeah, at last I knew it did. Um, actually I have a super IDE sitting right here. I could take it apart. Nah. Well, oh. oh,
8: crap.
0: What?
6: Everything's please, falling. Please,
0: please don't break it. <laughs> please don't break any, anything, David. I don't want to be responsible for <laughs> Just playing We're <laughs> watching a mad scientist perform brain surgery. So, um, see
6: if you've been but, catching me after I've been assembling all those those um, experimental boards I've been tinkering with so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got another link I'm going to post out here too that Mark's sending us on oh, no, a one second
3: so I did, I'm pretty sure this was released but this, there's some uh, pictures of the prototype well,
0: If you, if Mark if you want to post something or just say hi inside the YouTube chat I'll give you moderator privileges so you can post directly to chat okay. you can post it directly to YouTube so just say like Probably. hi or something like that
3: you pull up
0: a YouTube window. Or if it's super too much IDE. trouble. If, if you if you don't want to do that, you can continue to do it through um, Skype and I'll proxy it for you. But no if problem. you if you if you don't mind we'll go ahead and do that. So there's your super IDE controller. Yep, and it
6: has a battery.
0: There's the battery. And
6: And what is the it's also a Dallas chip, I think. D S Yep, should be. Thirteen fifteen. So I think it's the same one that was in the uh, & Birkenberg. Burke, yes.
0: I'm alive. Yeah, it was a Mark common one. Says. Okay. Okay. I've 12, just made, just what made you a moderator, Burke. Mark, so you can post directly to YouTube now if you'd like. No
1: problem. Thanks. Hmm. But I think David has a good idea. Somebody should like uh, maybe the next you know, version of the SDC or something should have the built-in real-time ability clock. to handle that too. Yeah. That's not a very expensive chip. chip.
2: And John no, and
6: as stuff. yeah as you can see this is like the Burke and Burke used the 1215 and the uh, super IDE uses the 1315 and they're both socketed chips so um, I wouldn't think it would be that hard but then again I'm just starting with hardware design myself so <laughs> yeah
4: for, for the average uh, Joe blogs though, what's the purpose of a real-time clock?
1: Well, under ADOS, I think, if I remember correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, because I haven't used ADOS in a while, but I think it actually, when you save programs, it would actually save the date and time you made them, so you could actually tell, if I'm looking at two backups, which is the recent one.
4: Ah, okay. And And
1: under
6: OS 9 made it so you didn't have to keep entering the date and time at the start of OS 9's boot.
0: Right, but again, is was it used? Though was there a timestamp put into the file system as well? Or oh no, it's name? built yes. into everything time, Everything's timestamped. Okay, so it is timestamped because if without without any application of that information, it's kind of pointless. So yeah, if it's being yeah. used, under RSDOS,
1: yeah. it wasn't that useful until ADOs no. came out with it. I think I can't remember if it was regular ADOs three or extended ADOs, but one of the two actually had it, and you actually could keep track. Like it would have been nice with Rick's backups because he had to keep writing on labels, you know, when and scribble out the old date, put the new one when he made the yeah. backups. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this way you could just load this did it dur, Okay, that was created on June 4th.
0: Yeah, that's the, the things we take for granted. The fact that the date and time is built into our computers now, and then all our files are timestamped already. Hold on one second.
6: Come on, Super ID, go back together.
1: <laughs> so, Nick, you never used the clock in ADOS?
4: No. You- uh, well, I, I didn't have a, um, a real-time clock anyway, but... Okay. But you had ADOS 3 or extended ADOS 3 oh, or something? Back then, I used to, yeah. Okay. But I never used a clock, no. Okay. The things we under, take for granted. Was
1: <laughs> it was essential oh. under OS because it was such a pain in the butt to have to type it every time it rebooted.
4: Yeah. yeah. I don't know how many people are using ADOS uh, nowadays. So may yeah, not I think be. people switch to like Cocoa SDC or HDB. Yeah. Some support hard drive
1: images and stuff. So maybe nice if one, I, th- I think... Doesn't HDB DOS support a clock too? Can't remember. Oh, that yeah. I do not know.
0: I'm not sure. It's a good question.
1: I don't think so. <laughs> but it'd be nice if the Coco SDC had that built in because it's a small chip and it's dead easy to program for. So.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And ADOS actually added basic commands so you could actually get the, the actual time and stuff in basic. You didn't have to write any machine language
2: crap. It was just
1: like a, you know, a command that
2: you ran, if I remember correctly. You know, after watching David... Uh, taking its hardware apart i thought it would be really like maybe as a, a beginner's how to get into your computer and how to pop in an extended basic rom or something would be a neat a neat segment i would be interested in
0: seeing that yeah
1: well, i think, think of doing that in on
2: one of yours aren't you
0: what's that
1: you were thinking of doing a video of inserting extended basic because you transferred one to your pd or tdp didn't you
0: yeah, yeah, it actually wasn't that hard. I what I need to get an actual. I used to have a chip puller, a socket puller. I don't have one of those anymore. I'd like to get one because I'm always a little nervous when I use a flathead screwdriver to kind of jimmy the chips up. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I discovered it completely by just kind of guessing when I when I had that one chip I pulled out and I saw there was an empty socket there and I looked at the other computer that had the two. Um, And they're kind of numbered that way. It was pretty easy to figure out which one was which. But, yeah, Um, it's neat because I, again, like I say, when I used my Coco back then, it was all for fun. I didn't understand hardware back then at all. Hardware was a complete mystery. And I understand hardware now the way any modern PC person has. When your graphics card goes bad, you put in a new graphics card. You know, that's the component. So, you know, soldering irons have not been a thing I've used. So I've not had to replace chips or... You you know solder things or put sockets on circuit boards or anything like that so that's a that's a different um, you know it's a different skill set it's a different way but it's definitely a lot more hands on you know so it's definitely interesting Richard's back um, yeah so that would be kind of interesting um, you know we have some people who are definitely have a lot more expertise in that area but I don't mind sharing with I don't mind sharing the little things I learned along the way I was actually thinking about ordering a few from Ed Snyder because he mentioned he had created a generic um, ROM chip replacement, and I guess it plugs into the original socket and has a piggyback thing that uses a slightly larger chip because that was a more easily available Common, chip. Common, yeah, and,
1: the 28 versus the 24. Yeah,
0: man. so um, and I think he says he's got a few left, so I was actually thinking about ordering a few of those so that if I ever run into more Cocos that don't have Extended Basic, I can just do the $10 upgrade and be able to sell somebody a you know, more capable coco if i come across more in in the future you know yeah
1: might be a good idea to just to show some of the the more common ram upgrades too like if somebody buys a coco one and ebay 16k if it happens to be an f board you can show my book upgrade to 64k because it's basically just you know unplug eight chips put eight new ones in move a couple of jumpers it's done there's no soldering there's nothing oh yeah um coco three upgrade you know how to do a 512k you got to snip a capacitor or two and just unplug four chips and plug a board in like for the, some people that have the just triad. gotten them off eBay and have never had a cocoa before, mm-hmm. even that, you know, breaking the warranty sticker, even though there's no radio check anymore yeah. really to do it would scare people. And if you show them how easy it is, like there's nothing really hard electronically
0: here. It's just, if you can operate a,
1: you know, a screwdriver, you're basically your set. So that'd be a nice
0: series to do. Simple yeah. yeah, no doubt. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. Just eBay and, and what to, what to look for, what to buy, what to be um, concerned with. So, you know, I uh, and and I just and and some of the people are in this call right now. A matter of fact, two of them are. You know, I acquired let's just say a handful of cocos over time, um, and then I got to the point where let me um, let me liquidate some of these and, and and kind of put them back into the community for people who don't have them or you know need one. Uh, and I learned a lot along the way. I I learned. The eBay buying process like the first time I bid on a color computer I was a complete noob to eBay I didn't realize I'm like oh my god I better I better jump on this and and so I ended up bidding on like three different machines not knowing if I would get any of them I was so worried about not getting one and I ended up winning a whole three freaking bids at once so the first time I bought a cocoa I bought three cocos and so that's and when the, the
1: addiction started
0: yeah and the, and the rest right. and the rest as we say is history um, most of the time when you see one on on ebay it's going to say untested um uh when you buy it you're obviously buying whatever you buy as is and if you're buying a 35 year old machine you you know you don't know what to expect if you're lucky they will say that it's tested and maybe they'll put up a picture of the color computer on a tv or a monitor so you can see that's working you don't always have that that option so there's definitely a reason to be concerned um, when you're buying from somebody who doesn't know if it's good, but luckily most of these machines they're pretty rugged. You know they were built well. They're simple enough. They're sturdy enough that they've last. They've stood the test of time. You've definitely got about a ninety-five percent chance of buying something and having it having it work. Um, and like you were mentioning before, Curtis, it's it's somewhat easy to fix too. One of the computers I sold um, had a uh, the screen output was black and white. And, and I meant, and so the one thing I'm trying to do is if I'm going to sell something, at least I'm going to say, Well, now here I've tested it, and here are all the specs. Here's how much memory it has. Here's what version of BASIC it has. A little bit more detail for somebody who wants to know exactly what they're getting. But I posted that picture in the Facebook group, and somebody else said, Well, if you open up the RF modulator. Box, and then there's a little thing you can turn, you can actually adjust that, and it was probably an easy fix. Now, the guy who bought it from me says, I know how to fix it, anyways, but I wanted to make sure I was disclosing whatever I was selling because when I bought it, I didn't know what I was getting, you know. Um, But even then, with this community and with the knowledge that's out there, if you post a picture of a problem, somebody probably knows a solution and can steer you through that. Um, You know, one of the things that came up last week. When I sent out those pictures, I was mentioning my keyboard didn't work. I think John Linville was the first guy that said it might be the PIA chip. What is that? Programmable interrupt. What's the A stand for? Programmable
1: interface adapter.
0: Uh, Programmable interface adapter. So that's a particular chip. And then I think somebody else even said, "Well, well, try to take the chip out and just stick it back in, too. So sometimes, that's the weird thing about computers. It's not really broken. You just need to pop it out and pop it back in, and poof, it works, you know. So, um yeah, the that was you Richard yeah so that was the cocoa one I sold you um, did you get that by the way Richard and so yeah so there are certain things that even if you get a cocoa that might not be exactly right um, it, it might be easy to fix if again it's easy as a relative term to, depending on what you know uh, for me I could say if, if, it, if it involves a soldering iron it's not an easy fix for me right now but um, uh, that's something that's a skill I hope to improve over time. Um, but yeah, but Coco twos are are pretty common on eBay, and they definitely average for like fifty dollars. And, and depending if you get you, sometimes you have to pay for shipping, sometimes you have a you know buy it now and fast and free shipping. It depends on who's selling it. but um, you know, Coco twos are definitely still pretty common to come by if you're looking to get into the real hardware hobby. That might be a good place to start in a fairly inexpensive place to start. Okay, okay. Richard says he hasn't got it yet. Postman came by too early. Um, you have to wait till Monday. Oh, sorry about that, Richard.
1: Yeah, I just want to mention one other trick. If if people are trying to determine if a Coco is working and you don't have a TV or anything to hook it up to, and this works on all three models, if you blind like you turn it on, you you can usually hear the cassette relay click in. But if you type in "motor on" blindly, hit return or enter. And then motor off. If you can hear the relay clicking on and off, then that means basics running, the keyboard's working, and all that kind of thing. And you can do that without
0: hooking it up to anything except power. So it's a little tip if you want to see if the okay. machine's basically working. And so it's it's motor space on. So M O T O R space O N yeah. enter right, and that and was motor a com- off. Shut the motor it back off. off. Okay. So those are commands you'll you can do. And you hear this audible
1: click from inside the machine. You'll you'll hear the click of the relay. <laughs>
0: That is like the, the trick I always try to tell people now on a modern computer, how can you tell if your computer's frozen or not? Easiest thing to do on that is you just hit NumLock, right? And if the NumLock, if you click on NumLock and it lights up, then there is brainwave activity in your computer. You know, if you're hitting NumLock and it doesn't light up, then it's not working. So this is kind of an old school version of that, right? So yep. if, you can, if you can make a clicky sound on it, then it's <laughs> then the computer's alive. That's kind yeah. of good. The to nice know. thing about
1: that, though, is that works on the Cocoa One, the two, the three, the um, TDP. I don't know if it works in
0: MC10 or not, but it, it's it's oh. universal across them all. Ah, that's a good that's a good tip to know. I'm going to actually type that into the chat um, just so it's documented because I have been making transcripts of these. Okay, so um, to test a Cocoa without TV, use motor on and motor off followed by. That's actually a good tip.
8: Yeah. One thing I think that would probably help, too, for uh, especially like me, I'm just not getting back into the cocoa after 20 plus years, maybe longer. <laughs> but uh, what was the difference between like a cocoa one and a cocoa two and a cocoa three and standard basic and extended basic? And of course, you, we already know what the difference between 4K and 16 and 64K is. But uh, the, mainly, just what's the difference between all the different computers? So if I find one with one catalog number, whether it's a Coco 264K, then maybe I'll find another one that has a different number, which a uh, version B. So what's the difference from the version A and the version B, and the catalog number for the Coco 264K, for example?
0: Who wants to take on that one? (laughs) (laughs) I I can answer some of the questions. I can't specifically answer the A and B questions, though.
1: Um, Yeah, Um, I mean, I don't know where where to start. I guess Cocoa 1 and Cocoa 2, obviously, the Cocoa 1 had the longer case. Uh, It started great with the chiclet keyboard, and there was multiple versions of that board, which made it easier and easier to upgrade to 64K. Uh, I think the earliest one, Radio Shack released that I've actually seen is a D board, and it's a real pain to upgrade to 64K. You have to cut circuit traces and all kinds of stuff. Um, The E board became a bit easier, and then the F board was basically just put chips in and move jumpers. It was pretty simple. Uh, The Coco 2, for the most part, (coughs) has a a better keyboard, shorter case. They uh, started not socketing all the chips. Um, Basically, it was a cheaper version of the Coco 1 for the most part. There's some others like the Salt chip and a few other things have changed too, but that's a more minor detail. The last runs of the Coco 2 were the Coco 2B. That has the new VDG that is capable of doing inverse video, lowercase, true lowercase. Um, you can tell that, um, one, by doing a few pokes, but also, if I remember correctly, the zero character on the T1 VDG has a slash through it, and the older VDGs do not. So just by turning it on, you can actually kind of ch- ch- tell if you've got the new chip or not. Um, Alexander and then Wallace has three- joined
0: us. Sorry about that. Okay. Oh, good.
1: Um, the Coco Three, basically, that's a whole new machine. I mean, it runs at double speed. It has new graphics modes, new text modes. Uh, the gimme uh, greater than sixty-four K with an MMU adapter, a whole new interrupt system for you know the semi-language programmers. It's it's a whole new generation of machine. It's like jumping from an eighty eighty-eight to an eighty-two eighty-six basically. No video artifacting. Uh, there is just non-composite, not on RGB. <laughs> It also has multiple thanks for pointing that out, Mark. It has multiple monitor outputs too. The CoCO 1 and 2, by default just came with the RF modulator that you know Steve showed the adapter for earlier. There were some models you could get for education um, back in the day that actually would have the composite mod for schools. And then the CoCO 3 came out and it has composite, it has RF and it has RGB for the RGB analog, so it's got all three outputs.
8: Cool. And then what's the difference between standard basic and extended basic? What was the big difference between those two?
1: 8k and 16 yeah the yeah. the color rom is 8k the extended basic rom is 16k exactly as mark said uh the 16k rom or something the older machines it was actually two separate 8k roms that you plugged in separate um but basically it added all the high-res graphics commands it added the play command uh renumbering command a bunch of commands got added mostly to support the high-res graphics
3: exodus numbers
1: And watch Stevie's series there, because he's going through a lot of that right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when I first started with my cocoa, I had a Silver cocoa one with, I call it Standard Basic, what we now call Color Basic. Um, And so, and it was confusing to me, was that I could run a machine language game that could do high resolution graphics. So the computer was able to do high resolution graphics, but you didn't have any commands in Basic to do it in the basic language to take care of high resolution graphics so it was it was basically a way to extort more money from the consumer <laughs> um, and this actually started I think in the TRS-80 right there was a level 1 and a level 2 basic on the TRS-80 model 1 and 3 and the level 2 basic was a more capable version of basic they could charge more money for so um, I think extended basic had was, was available from the beginning on the first Coco. Not, not quite, not, quite. not quite. Okay. It so a, it, it was a few it, months
1: delayed. And okay. to be honest, it, it wasn't totally extortion. The reason that, and this applied to the model one too. Um, the reason it was actually kept as separate is because if you had a 4k Coco, you could not run some of those true, graphics. You true, true. Because it, it would take up more screen.
0: memory. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that was the main reason they kept it separate because the 4 Ks all came with color basic 16k was optional. You had enough RAM now to do extended basic, but you had to add the extra ROM. Now, yeah, they extorted on price and stuff, but yeah, um, yeah. there was a reason for having color basic by itself because the 4K could not do anything else, but...
0: Right, 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 right. So it's essentially it gives you it gives gives the programmer the programmer meaning you or I the ability to do cool things like the circle line and paint and you know high resolution accessing to the screens get and put play for music. So yeah, I mean it's very cool multimedia um, enhancements to the language itself.
4: Yeah, I I assume that a extended color basic would have cost Tandy more money as well. uh, And Microsoft licensing?
8: Yeah.
0: Yeah, (laughs) licensing involved the cost of the ROM chips, which were probably much more expensive back then. Yep. So there was the physical production cost, the ROM chip cost, and then uh, I think it added an extra $100 to the price of the machine retail.
1: The original machines, yes, because there's yeah. a whole separate chip and a separate socket. The Coco 2, that was one of the things they did to be a bit cheaper is that I think because Coco 2s were sold to 16 and 64K only. There wasn't a 4K model. Mm-hmm. They kind of made it so that it was one socket with both ROMs on one chip on the later
0: models. Okay. Gotcha. And I got another.
8: I'm go
0: sorry. ahead, Grant. Go ahead, Grant.
8: Yeah. Um, one other thing, too, if I remember correctly, uh, Coco three games do not. I mean, uh, some of the Coco two games do not work on the Coco three games. Is is that true? If I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple different yeah. reasons. Um, some of it's the
1: memory mapping stuff. Um, there's some games that uh, at the very if they used old 64k, there's that vector page RAM thing which would sometimes screw them up. Um, then there's the other part of of artifacting colors, as was mentioned. If you had an RGB monitor, as Mark mentioned. Uh, you don't get artifacting colors. It comes out pure black and white. Now, technically, the game still works or the program still works. It just doesn't appear as originally intended. Um, and then the other one is the semi-graphics modes because the Coco 3 did not support semi-graphics modes above the basic set reset that Color Basic had. You can't do like 64 by 192 like uh, John Linville's uh, Farfall. Actually, I think he uses a slightly lower one, but that type of mode doesn't work. Now, Nick and a few others have actually you know, found there's some pokes you can do to kind of fake it, but it doesn't totally do it right because any text you do on there just disappears. So that's one compatibility problem. So some of the old games like Protectors 2 or Storm or newer ones like Firefall will not run properly on a Cocoa 3. Well, it's a little bit of hacking, and even then they don't perfectly run like they used to.
8: Okay, Cool and then i have another question here i'm trying to rattle these off because i just got my coco 2 here actually today just right about an hour before oh, the call keep going then keep
1: going
2: um,
8: <laughs> so pretty much now we do not use floppy drives or tape drives anymore uh, we mainly download the roms and the game stuff from the internet uh so for one uh here there's a there's a uh, sd card converter we can buy now mm-hmm. there's a couple of them so so what's the difference between, between the what's the difference between the two of them because i think there's two different ones out there yeah if
1: you're talking the flash rom one that one is meant more to emulate just cartridges so it's kind of designed to map in on the same part where the cartridge normally would have been you just tell it which one you want to map in for that particular session you're having if you want to play project nebula if you want to play double back you can you can switch between the coco sdc actually is a more generic one it replaces the disc controller and also fakes being a hard drive controller if you set it up right and that's what Steve's showing, I believe, there, where you just take a standard SD card, you plug it in, and you can put in, you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of disk images, and even hard drive images, and then you can basically run your entire software library just from that thing. And then you can copy stuff to it from a PC or a Mac or or whatever as you go through. So that that's probably the oh, best Oh, Mark's the got the clear the one. Even
0: yep. fancy. Mark's got the clear one. The original, uh, was that plexiglass. Yeah, it's the Tim Linder one. Yeah, neat. That's I'm going to call that
1: the ISDC because of Apple always had those transparent iMacs back yeah, in the day.
0: Yeah, iStuff, so. yeah, right?
1: <laughs>
8: we'll
0: return after these messages.
7: From Radio Shack, the TRS-80 Model 3. And at $200 off, it's a great value. Select from Radio Shack's huge program library to aid your children's education, plan your personal and household budgets, or to entertain with fast-action games. You can even learn to write programs. The TRS-80 Model 3, on sale for $7.99. Only at Radio Shack and Radio Shack Computer Centers. The
0: computer experts. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness. To get your very gameplay own goodness. gameplay goodness DVDs gameplay featuring goodness. color computer right. games played by gameplay the original goodness. gamer Stevie Stroh, you know, visit 8bit256.com yeah. you know, and gameplay grab goodness. yourself a Cocoa Gaming yeah. DVD gameplay today. Yeah. That's 8bit256.com yeah. you know, for all of your goodness. gameplay goodness yeah. needs. You know, gameplay goodness. You know gameplay goodness. This is how we like to do it.
5: I'll return you to Coco Talk.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Probably the more user friendly one, uh, Grant, would probably be the Coco SDC because it looks and acts just the way Disk Extended Color Basic acted in a Coco. Uses the same commands, dir, to list the directory. Um, it actually, it's kind of like a DOS on top of DOS because there's the SDC DOS that you use to browse the contents of the SD card itself. You then mount one of those disk images and it looks like an and then becomes a virtual floppy to the color computer. Then you manage it like a normal floppy on the Coco. You would type in DIR to list what's on there and you would do a load for basic or load M for assembly. And you would manage the files on the disk just like it was a physical floppy. So, um... I am not as familiar with the flash, but I think in order to use the flash, you you have to have you still have to have a, a way to get the files from your Cocoa to the flash. So you would still have to have probably like a multi pack interface and something else to copy those to the flash itself. But once you get the things on the Flash, I, I know Barry Nelson and his daughter have come up with a menu program where you can actually just run through like a text-based user interface and launch whatever's in that Flash. So it's kind of like a, a reprogrammable multi-cart where you can load up lots of images into one physical cartridge because it's now with Flash storage, we've got so much more space than we had back in the you know 8K or 16K ROM Days. I th- what is it? I think you said 512k worth of storage. Yeah, or it, is it more?
1: The MMU unit that the like Robocop yeah. and and Predator did. So, the other advantage of Coco Flash is if you're a developer and you want to make a cartridge, you can actually test it as if it was running from a real cartridge.
0: Right. Whereas with, right, with right, right. the
1: Coco SDC, you're going to have to kind of fake it out and map it in RAM, and you're not testing it quite properly as would be on real hardware. So for some people that are using some of John Linville's boards, etc., you can uh, now do the actual ROM testing. Actually,
3: the Coco SDC does have programmable flash. That's what the dip switches are. You can set which flash bank it is.
1: Yeah, that's so, for the, uh, the auto boot ROM.
2: I think there's eight banks, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But how big How big are they, though? Are they 8K banks? Uh, 128 8K.
3: 16.
6: 16? 16? Okay. I, I, I'm i pretty sure each bank is 16.
1: Yeah, uh, it would map in basically what an extended disk controller could do, like the old JM DOS, which is 16K. Yeah. Whereas Coco Flash, the flash thing, actually, you've got lots way beyond that i mean you can put the entire coco library on there easily with room leftovers so
3: right
6: i think I, uh jim said it was eight megabyte is that correct
1: that could be i, I don't have one so i can't really tell you but yeah it, it's basically the entire rom library of the coco
0: can be put on the one card Alex, hey alexander me. do you want to do you want to call in on skype you want to join us on the skype call or you want us just to answer your your question here but Alexander is asking, and I'm not exactly sure how to answer this question, but he's asking, can someone explain the easiest way to get ROMs in the Coco Flash? Does it really need an MPI? I'm assuming it does, but um, I'm not the best qualified to say that.
1: I don't have one, so I can't really tell you. I wish Barry was here today. He could, t- he could tell you.
3: <laughs>
0: you yeah, use yeah, Barry. Unfortunately, I don't...
1: Sorry, Mark, go ahead.
0: Couldn't you use DriveWire?
3: I mean, uh, the Coco SDC supports DriveWire in the HDB DOS. Doesn't the Cocoa Flash contribute a version with drive wire and then just make a rig up a cable and transfer your stuff over?
1: That's a good point. I would imagine it should.
0: What you What, I, do what is DriveWire? David, what are you showing that's, us right now? That's
6: the... Uh, oh, I need to get that out of the way. But this is the, uh, the uh, Cocoa Flash. Okay. From oh, Jim. Nice.
0: And I, wish, I wish Tom Jim was Strong's here. He could answer that for us. <laughs> Okay, so that's John Strong's printed case for the Coco Flash. And what are those little buttons, those external buttons, for?
6: Um, I haven't used them. I think it's to switch um, between the cartridges, I think. I'm not really sure, because there wasn't any documentation with it when I got it, so...
0: Yeah, I remember Barry Nelson mentioning this, and I'm just trying to go back from that memory, but I think he was basically saying you have to take it from a ROM file to a BIN file or vice versa. And he wrote a program to convert it and then copy it in its converted format to the actual Flash itself. So there is a conversion process. and. To me, uh, not knowing all of the physical logistics, I think you need to have access to the software you want to put on there and access to the flash cartridge at the same time. So I would almost think a a multi pack would be necessary to do this, but somebody else will probably chime in later. I would say, um, Alexander, to post a message in the Facebook group and either Barry Nelson and or Jim Brain would um, answer that for you because those are kind of the two experts on that. But I would think that's necessary.
1: Yeah, unless DriveWire does work, that's one other option. We could just use a serial cable to a PC uh, or Mac. But I don't uh, know for sure if that works.
0: Okay, so actually, yeah, I yeah. just
7: found a, a link that Barry put up a little while ago on the uh, newsgroup. It actually he has a program that will actually take the the actual ROM images from the actual archive, convert them, and put them onto the flash.
1: Okay, but do you know if it requires you to have it in a multi-pack, or like how do you get it onto there?
7: Uh, it actually uses the actual ROM images from the Coco uh, archive.
1: Okay, but how do you get them onto the flash? Is what I'm asking. Oh, uh,
7: the he, that program he made actually does the conversion and puts them onto the flash.
1: Okay, but do how do you get to the the, the image? You have to have oh, like a physical actually, floppy drive in uh, there, or do you? A,
7: either a physical floppy or an SDC, by the looks of it. Oh.
0: Okay, okay, so, so. It's, it's starting to sound like you need two slots and an MPI to do this.
1: Yeah. Uh, we'll ri- have to find out about DriveWire, though. That's a good point because, I mean, DriveWire is supported by a lot of things now, and that would be one where you just make a cable and you hook it up to your PC and get them off there. But we'll have to find out. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, okay, so Richard was asking, and I think Mark answered, can you use a card reader from the PC to transfer disk images to the SD card on the Coco SDC? And yeah, that answer is yes. That's what I... I've been doing all along. I have never tried DriveWire yet. I'm really curious to, to get into DriveWire um, and try that out for grins and giggles. Um, getting back to some of your questions, too, um, Grant, about you know what's the main differences between uh, uh, Cocoa 1 and Cocoa 2. And, and for the most part, the Cocoa 1 and Cocoa 2 are the same machine, it's mostly just some kind of cosmetic. Differences. There are some, you know, design changes. And I would suggest anybody. I'm going to do this plug right now for Grant or anybody else. Um, I, I one of the things that really helped me learn a lot about this was reading Boise. In Bill's book here, the, the underdog book, so The Colorful History of Tandy's Underdog Computer. Um, I learned a lot in there about the history of the of Tandy and how all this stuff came about, you know, so the, um, the Coco 2 was designed really just to cut costs, and one of the main things they did to cut costs was to make the motherboard smaller, so it's a smaller circuit board um, to save money on materials, and so Cocoa 2 is really just a, a cost savings machine. Um, but the, they went from silver to white, which white was the color of through the 90s. You know, white and beige was the color of all computers. Um, and they added a better keyboard. But, you know, it's, it's it, you would think when you go like from an Apple 1 to an Apple 2, yeah, an Apple 2 is a better machine. Cocoa 1 and Cocoa 2, the Cocoa 2 was no. "Quote unquote better" had the exact same processor, exact same version of yep. BASIC, and the exact same set of graphics. It really wasn't until the Coco Three did the computer really get better as far as its capabilities with graphics and color and things like that. Um, and when it comes to compatibility. I would say we were probably 95% of most things will run on a yeah. Cocoa 3. So, if you really had to pick one to answer the question that was also posted on the mailing list what's your favorite Cocoa or what's the best Cocoa to buy? If you can get your hands on a Cocoa 3, you know, it's you're, you're good. Um, the the challenge with the Cocoa 3 now, and it's not necessarily a challenge, but if you want to hook a Cocoa 3 to a better screen, um, the on the bottom of the Cocoa 3 is a small non standard RGB connection that needs to be converted to something else, and so there are a handful of ways to convert that to VGA. So you can use a VGA monitor, but even now, VGA is kind of outdated, right? Because most modern TVs don't support VGA, um, you know, things like that. Uh, some people are working on now, I think it was Bill, who was taking one of Barry Nelson's designs to convert. Uh, VGA to SCART and then SCART to HDMI or something so it's this whole elaborate hack job to you know Fluster, cluck a few different connections together to finally get us on an HDMI connection. Um, I, I know I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying and maybe insulting people at the same time with this, but <laughs> um, so the the um, you know, but there is an RGB output from the Coco Three, but it was designed for a, a Tandy specific monitor they sold called the CM8 Color Monitor Eight. So it's kind of a proprietary connector. Um, Cloud Nine has an adapter. Uh, that will convert that to VGA. There's a few other adapters out there that will do that. I think Ed Snyder might have one. A few people have them. Um, What I got from Ed Snyder, and I don't think they're available right now, is I got one that actually converted it from the RGB to S-Video, and I'm using that to run it through my PC, where I can actually live capture it on my PC and watch it on my computer monitor. Um, So that's the biggest challenge, is if you want to get that RGB output... How do I do that? Because you're pretty much unless you can get an old analog CRT CM eight, you're gonna have to adapt it to a modern display. And that that will sometimes cost you more than the Cocoa cost you for all the superfluous adapters and stuff.
8: Unless you go to Coco Fest and get it for thirty five dollars.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, there the, you go. Yeah, yeah, get the CM8. Coco
1: Fest is a solution for everything.
0: <laughs> yes. Ask your doctor if Coco Fest is right for you. <laughs>
2: Richard Lurphieski is—he's uh, working on a uh, an s Cart HDMI adapter. I think off of the—I uh, well, can't remember the other guy's design now. Barry Nelson. Yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, he's—he's he's working
2: on that too right now. Yeah. I, uh, well, I was looking at the VGA, but um, you know, there's a number out there, but I, I like nobody's got any available for sale. It seems.
1: Cloud9 will. He's actually going to be doing a second run. He's doing a couple of bug fixes. He found some timing problems. If you have an 86 gimme versus an 87 gimme, hmm. so he has some changes on the ROM in it and type thing. But uh, he is making a new production run a little bit yeah,
2: later. Yeah, I, I yeah, I know that. I just uh, yeah. But he's so, out right wow. now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, we have a question from NML32. Um, which is, you know, that's the upgrade from the original M- NML 16. Um, so NML 32 says, Hello, I have an RGB related question. Go ahead with your question, NML 32, whenever you're ready. Um, Richard is also saying that there, you could probably use some of the other Tandy monitors like the CM4 or the CM5, but you might need to modify the cables on those. Um,
1: there were multiple analog RGB monitors that used to work, like the Nick Multisync 2, uh, Magnavox 8515, 8516, uh, the original Amiga and some of the Atari ST monitors. I mean, you had to do some cable mucking around and stuff to mm-hmm. rewire, but they did work.
0: Yeah, what NML32 is asking, is there a way to connect the Coco 3 to a Sony PVM CRT? What is, what is PVM, uh, with, which is uses BNC connectors, apparently?
3: Yeah, like closed-circuit television
0: Okay, it's like a CCTV. I remember some of those old CRTs actually did have those BNC twists, and you had one for red you know, RGB, red, green, red, green, blue, and there was another one that was maybe for black or for H sync or V sync or something like that. Some of those old TVs had several inputs to get RGB. So, yes. um, and most of those BNC connectors on the monitors are
7: usually composite inputs.
0: Okay. So would that? Do you think that would work then, Bill? Or
7: it would work for a, an actual composite signal, not the actual RGB. <laughs>
0: That'd be a different oh, okay. But but no, but so but if, if it's a Sony uh, an NML, correct us if you're wrong. But if, if, if this Sony PVM CRT, I'm assuming the CRT has RGB inputs on it, and I'm I'm gonna make a naive non-electronic engineer statement, but I think just about anything should be able to be converted, right? So the RGB output on the Coco, there's going to be a handful of signal lines. And if you know what the pinout is and you know what those connections are, if you know what you're doing... Theoretically, anything can be adapted to connect to anything. Sometimes it's just a connection changer, and the signaling is the same. Sometimes you might have to do some signaling conversions, but sometimes it may just be as simple as I got a, an XYZ head that needs to be adapted to an ABC head, and you just change the wirings, and you change the head, and you make a, a dongle doohickey, and it works. Um, is that a fairly true statement?
3: Sometimes can upscale or downscale
0: too. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, RGB in general should be a fairly common thing. It's just how are we implementing RGB out versus in, and, and adapt the output to the to the proper input. Okay, so now Paco and Mark are sending out some links in there too. So yeah, yeah, feel free to ask more questions and uh, put links out there in the chat. So yeah, there's a group on Facebook too about CRTs that I joined recently too, and so there's a lot of talk on there about the different CRTs and the connections. I've learned something recently, too, as well, is that, you know, we're so used to thinking that digital is better and we're, you know, uh, HD and flat screens and all these things like that. But um, the old CRTs refreshed faster than our digital screens do, which is why things like light guns don't work and why, you know, some of the purists still like looking at the scan lines and things like that on the CRTs. But um, I guess it has to do with how... You know, the beams of light were hitting the tube directly on the glass screens where nowadays with the flat panels, you have to have a video processor process the whole image like mentally before it flashes it onto the panel display. And there's a slight, you know, difference in the timing there that prevents things like light guns from working and stuff. So, um, uh, Michael Brandt saying, I'm glad to have my CM8s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I was gonna, so, just going to
1: say, you're probably talking about me and Nick as far as running the old monitors, because we both still do that.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, if I had one, I mean, the, the, they're, they're, they're it's a cool thing to have. It's a piece of nostalgia. It's a piece of history. But the problem with them is they're so freaking big and heavy, too. You know, they take up so much space. You know, a CM-8 is what? A, what's the size of the actual tube? Is it a 12? It's a 13-inch. 13 13, 13 it's a 13-inch inch screen. screen, but it's the size of, like, a 20-inch television, you know? And it's the weight of a VW bus. So, and, and I'm exaggerating <laughs> slightly, but... But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm only saying this because I'm pissed off. I didn't wasn't able to buy one in the Cocoa Fest auction because I couldn't fit it in my suitcase. <laughs> all you had to do was just scrap all your clothes. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. I, I would I would gladly be using a CM8 right now, and that's where that the CM8 that they were selling. It had an adapter cable on there where somebody took the normal rectangular head and converted that to a VGA head. And so somebody had made a, a pigtail adapter on there that you could detach and go back straight to a Cocoa or go to a PC. So I'm assuming the pinout in that for a PC VGA and that monitor is the same because it was a passive adapter that didn't have any type of, um, you know, other, from what boards. I remember, TTL RGB, which is what the old, you know, Tandy 1000s and the earlier PCs used, it
1: did work, but I think it didn't let you use the intensity. So you only got the base colors. So you get okay. basically an eight color display.
8: Yeah, I
0: Okay. So I mean, micro- my favorites
1: have always been like either the NEC Multisync 2 because it has a wonderful dot pitch compared to anything else in the market. Mm-hmm. It's the one I use still. And the Magnavox 8515, 8516 series, which also worked with the Atari ST and the Amigas, um, because that one had a better dot pitch. So it was a clearer picture, slightly bigger. It was a 14-inch versus a 13-inch, and it also had composite and RGB, and you could just switch between them whenever you wanted to. So it's great for a Coco 3 because well, I'm playing a Coco 1-2 game. I need artifacting colors. You just hit a switch. You're done.
0: Yeah. It's like switching inputs on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, that was the big... Like when I first got my Color Computer 3 with the CM8, not having those artifact colors. And and I'll even go as far as... And when I say artifact, if anybody out there doesn't even know what that means... Um, You know, the the original color computer mode was a black-and-white mode, but the way the TV worked was that depending if if you had a vertical stripe, if it was on an even or odd position, it would look like it was red or blue. So they actually took uh, uh, the opportunity to take, like, alternating stripes of black-and-white stripes to create the illusion of red-and-blue colors on the screen. So that's what we're talking about when we say artifacting. So when you play these games that have, like, black-and-white plus red-and-blue, the red and blue colors are really false colors produced by the television's lack of interpretation of the signal. For better terms, so it was a hack. You know, it was almost like a byproduct of of bad technology that we saw these colors. Um, when we switched to the new Coco Three, which is using an RGB monitor, which is a much better technology it got rid of those fake colors. It showed us the exact black and white lines. Um, and and then so all the games that we're used to playing that didn't do it, boom, they look like crap now, right? So imagine playing Donkey Kong that used to be red, white, and blue. Now it's just black and white. Um, it just doesn't look as good. So what Curtis was just mentioning is that his monitor could switch between composite and RGB and give you the best of both worlds. Um Okay, I have two more questions here in the chat. Uh, Alexander Wallace, hey, another question. Can Cocoa 1 be installed? Uh, Can you install a 6309 processor? I just opened my new Cocoa 1 and noticed the socket, which would make it easier. Michael Brandt said, yes, 6309 can be used on a Cocoa 1, 2, and 3. There you go. Um,
1: Yes, and it runs cooler, so it actually helps the machine last longer, never mind all the extra instructions.
0: That is a neat thing that I didn't know about Originally, I think a lot of people didn't know about originally, um, which I learned about again, shameless plug for Boise and Bill's book. But that newer processor, which was made by Hitachi, not only does it do everything the original Motorola processor did, but it uh, allowed for a lot more newer, better things that you know was kind of the the inspiration for Nitrous 9, right? The newer operating system. Um,
1: not 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 an inspiration or requirement.
0: Requirement right, right. for the original yeah.
1: version. I mean, now they've
0: back. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Fix. But that's what that's what inspired you guys to make that version was the fact yeah. that this processor could do more things, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, if somebody's buying a Coco now and your Coco has a bad processor, and and are these sixty three hundred nine still fairly available? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. I so they're they're. Up,
7: go ahead, but I just picked up ten of them for twelve bucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so yeah a that, box of cracker jacks, and so <laughs> it is it is definitely a way to um you know repair an old cocoa that maybe the cpu is bad i think the 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 main difference between like the coco one and the processor was in a socket so it was an easy replacement you pull one out you put a new one the newer coco twos and the cocoa threes the cpu is not in a socket so it's a little bit more of, a, of an actual act of surgery to um, get them out. And I've heard people basically cut off the legs to basically take the head off of the old chip and then desolder each leg, which is easier than trying to you know possibly damage the motherboard. And then put a new solder in there. That is the it. easiest method. Yeah, yes. that's what I've heard. I'm afraid to try it. I think I will wait till I find a dead cocoa and I will practice my soldering skills on a cadaver, so I don't kill a real <laughs> patient. So um, you're braver than
1: me because I won't even try because I suck at solder.
0: <laughs>
1: my <laughs> my soldering skills are, is called Bill.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> yeah, we had. When I the, used you to know.
2: solder okay, but my eyes don't anymore. So
0: ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard people say that in the comments on the different groups. You know, like, my eyes and hands aren't what they used to be. Yeah.
2: Okay, um,
0: Mark's got the solution there. Yeah. <laughs> now he has magnifier. <laughs> Look at that. He's like, he's like a, a jeweler over here. He's going to work on a diamond while he's at it, too. And now, these
7: messages. Radio Shack
0: store-wide manager's
7: red tag sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag.
0: Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hey guys, original gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're listening to Coco Talk, chances are you're interested in the Color Computer. If you'd like to find out more about the Color Computer, then visit my Cocoa Links page at imacoconut.com. There you will find communities, podcasts, YouTube channels, project sites, blog sites, hardware, software, buy, sell, trade, you name it. So for all things Color Computer, visit imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, coconut.com com and tell them the original gamer stevie stroh sent you
7: hey everybody this is bill noble co-author of nitrous nine you are listening to coco talk live the leading live coco talk show
0: what's the color what's the what's the color clarity and cut of that diamond there mark <laughs> okay richard says i've got 50 of them so richard's got a couple of 6309s too so yeah yeah, no, it
1: definitely works on the Cocoa 1 and 2. I mean, advantage, even if you don't have any software that takes advantage, is that it runs, because it's CMOS, it runs up at like literally 100th the power or something like that. So it runs cooler. It, it decreases the heat inside the Cocoa 1 or 2 case. So it actually will help the rest of the components last longer because it're not getting overheated as much. So it's it's just generally a nice upgrade all the way around. And then if you have the software take advantage of it, I mean, it can do all kinds of things. There's even stuff in the Cocoa 1 and 2 that you could write games that would be much faster and better than they were on the 6809, so I don't think anybody's quite done that yet. Hint, hint, Nick. Um, (laughs) And I I can't remember, is a Nitrous 9 project, because I kind of got out of it before they started backporting it all, have they done a 6309 OS9 Level 1?
7: Yes. Okay, so
1: we actually have have software that will take advantage of it now, for even on a Cocoa 1 or 2, then.
0: Okay, so Richard's got sockets and processors. Yeah, we might might need to... um... I might need to hit you up, Richard, for a socket and a processor, because yeah, I think that would be a neat. Are, are <laughs> those, what is that? Are those the sockets there, Mark?
3: Yeah, These are machine pin sockets.
0: Oh wow, you're an animal.
3: I bought them for some reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty pin, right? It's it's one of those things, you know. It's it's here. I mean, here I give you a similar story. Like right now, my glasses that I'm wearing, uh, my glasses are like almost two years old now. They're out of warranty, but I I got them at Walmart. And I've gone there twice now, and they just happened to have the spare parts that were needed to get them fixed. So when my nose piece fell out, they had an extra nose piece. The other day, the arm fell off of these things, and they had the specific screw that they needed to put it back in. And so holding on to these rare, obscure parts comes in handy at some point in time. <laughs> you know?
1: Now, it's a nice chip. So, I mean, uh, as Nick has been finding out lately, and Bill and I have known for years, it's. It's the most powerful 8 bit CPU ever made.
0: Yeah, well, he put it in his blog. If you read the latest, pop, the, the new blog for Gunstar, it's like the 6809 is the second best 8 bit processor, and the 6309 is the best. So. <laughs> you should
1: actually put a link to his blog in the YouTube chat, too, so that gets for let the people that are it.
2: listening.
0: And let me find it. Yeah. I did the so, uh, memory
2: upgrade and the CPU upgrade, not. Because I was looking for anything bigger or better, but for the very purpose of lowering the heat, yeah. and, and getting along. Because it's my Coco three, the gimme went. And so um, Mark uh, Marlette fixed that for me, and then I got to thinking, gosh, if uh, if I can, if you can upgrade me with something that's going to make my cocoa last longer, then then let's do it, and yeah. just for that reason, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because his his uh, you know five twelve K upgrade the Triad is much lower power and heat too. And then the six three nine is also much lower power and heat, so the whole case cools off. So,
7: yeah. Well, actually, I ran a test on my Coco three, and I I actually put a temperature sensor inside the case, and it actually runs at a constant twenty three degrees Celsius.
0: Really? What what temperature is that in America?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who temperature?
0: About 73, 74. Okay, thank you. Um, Us Americans don't do math. We're too proud.
1: (laughs) Except your drug dealers. We like our
0: standards. (laughs) Yeah, it's the only time the metric standards used in the U.S. is when you're buying, uh, you know, Grams. (laughs) <laughs> <Drug. and> grams, <laughs> I, need, I need a twenty-eight gram bag, please. <laughs> well, even the medical profession, of the states uses metric yes, too. Yes, that's so. true. That's true.
3: Scientists.
1: Yeah, I remember NASA had that one probe crash because somebody translated the tube wrong, and it actually, I can't remember if it crashed or if it missed Mars and flew off into the nether regions of space. But
3: oh, it crashed spectacularly. It crashed. JPL yeah. used and I think Lockheed Space Systems used, I uh, thought it was all American England.
2: Imperial. Didn't that happen with the Hubble Space t- uh, Telescope as well? Someone ground the lens at, um, at, the, yes. at the different, uh, I think that happened yeah. too, so it went up a lot, half blind.
3: I think the story with the Hubble is that they ground it because they whoever assumed it was going to be used in the atmosphere in space, so they ground it with all the corrections. Um, huh. You know, for um, if you had it on the Earth. And no, it goes in space.
0: It has to have a different right oh. Yeah, there's been a few different space programs um, issues that have happened because different teams worked on things and the rest of the world does everything in the metric system and only, you know, United States uses the standard system. So I think some of the original Mars um, probes overshot where they were supposed to go because they had. You know, not everybody was on the same page with the the units of measure and distance when they were calculating things and stuff, too. So it's pretty crazy. It's like the one it's the there's what is it? What else do we not do? Right. Like we do telephones different than the rest of the world too. like rest of like Europe and everybody else does their phone systems different than how we do ours and stuff. So it's just like there's a couple of things that we just do because america you know we we just do it however we do it so
1: most of that stuff i think is more like a north american versus european thing because i mean okay. canada the states for the most part our stuff's compatible our power grid telephone systems okay we're all using the same thing it's
0: just on measurements you guys are way behind okay <laughs> and temperatures <laughs> and all that kind of stuff right
3: make us change
0: yeah right well, that's why like zero is freezing, 100 is boiling. It's very simple. You know, yeah, zero, it was designed zero. to be simple. And <laughs> we need it that way. <laughs> For Not temperature, you well, uh, but...
2: Yeah, if you want to convert the Celsius, you double it and you add 30. You double that, it and you add right. 3.
0: Yeah, uh, 30. Oh, so, uh, you double it and you add 30. So you yeah, get maybe. way more metric beers than you do. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you get a lot more metric <laughs> beers. <laughs> <laughs> eh? <laughs> exactly. Instead of it being a 12-ounce can. So now that's like what? Like so like so, That's 24? That's like 54 ounces, eh? <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's metric beer. <laughs> the Coco Cat you has know- come by to say hello. Good. Gizmo the Cocoa Cat. Yeah, I would definitely recommend everybody grab a copy of Boise and Bill's book. It's a great book. It does explain a lot about. Um, uh, <laughs> Evan Wright said, "I was just about to make the metric beer joke. I'm too slow." Welcome, go. Evan Wright. How are you? Welcome. Evan Wright is here. Um, if you guys, if anybody who's who's in the text chat wants to join us on Skype chat, just uh, uh, ask, send me a friend request on Skype, and we can add you to the call. Yeah it's good stuff um so if getting back to an earlier question between what grant had asked and what was on the um mailing list what's the best cocoa to buy uh, probably a, co- a probably a coco three but when you when you get into the cocoa three now well there's technically a couple different shades of cocoa three right so your stock Coco 3 that you will find most commonly on eBay is the 128K Coco 3. That was probably the most popular model sold, at least in North America. Um, I know there were some 512k sold by Radio Shack, but if I had to guess the majority of the 512ks you're going to find were self upgraded units. So can you find a 512k Cocoa on eBay? Well, it really depends. But, um, if you can't find one cloud nine software is where you can get that upgraded. And then if you want the, ultimate and luxury and power, then you would really want a 512K Coco with a 6309 processor, right? So, um, again, will you find one of those on eBay? I got really lucky. I bought Neil Blanchard's, right? So, the first Coco 3 I bought was a 6309 512K Coco 3. So, I hit the jackpot. Um, Through eBay? Through eBay, yeah. Neil Blanchard had one that he had an extra. He put it on eBay and I just won the auction. And, and I got it. did you
1: knew who Neil was at that time? Yeah, I did. I did. I did because he had mentioned okay. it on the podcast. Brookings
2: or?
0: Yeah, Neil Brookings. Yeah, Neil Brookings. <laughs> yes, yeah. They he, they had mentioned it on the podcast that, yeah, we've got one of these things out there. And I saw it and I bid on it. And, I, and luckily, I got it. So when I won the bid, I even I sent him an email. I go, Neil, can you send me an autograph? So he actually took an old silver Tandy floppy sc- uh, sleeve and autographed it for me and everything else, too. So, hey, Glenn Hew- Hewlett is here. Hey, Glenn. We have some uh, more Cocoa people here. Evan Wright is here. Glenn is here. Um, guys, if you want to call in on Skype, um, uh, go ahead and try and do that, too. You might need to add me as a friend on Skype. Okay, here's Patrick Coltier has just added me a friend request. Okay. Do you want to be on Cocoa Talk? Somebody sent me a friend request. Patrick Patrick Cloutier, I guess. I can't read. I'm American. Cloutier? Um, Cloutier? Who knows? Cloutier? Yes. Yes, uh, who knows? Um, yeah, so Evan or Glenn or anybody else, if you're out there watching and you want to join the um, verbal conversation, we're, we're on Skype. We're happy to have you. Um, so, yeah, what would be the best Cocoa to have if you only had to have one? It would be a 512K Cocoa 3 with the 6309 processor, and you can run everything. But that is not always going to be easy to get, Right. Um Coco one cocoa twos are very common. They average50 dollars um, for just the computer. Uh, you go to buy a, a bundle you might spend more money if it's in the box it might be more money. I've seen people selling Cocoa twos for 189 and they're on crack, you know what I mean because <laughs> but those are rare in vintage when you put the word rare or vintage in front of something on eBay, apparently it quadruples the value. But um, the normal Coco 2s average 50 bucks, So they're pretty common. In a 64K... If you see a Coco 2 that says 64K, it's going to have Extended Color Basic. There was no standard basics with 64K. That'll let you run 100% of the Cocoa 1 and 2 library. Um, it'll run everything. Um, Coco 3s will run 95% of the Coco 1 and 2 libraries. Um, some of the newer Coco 3 games, though, are written for 512K, like Sockmasters Donkey Kong requires that. Popstar Pilot requires that. So some of the newer games are going to require 512K of RAM. Um, well, even some of the older
1: ones, like Sinistar and Contras, require 512K. Yeah, there were some of the older Monster ones, Man's, too, right?
0: Yeah. Um so, but you, if if you're lucky, you'll find a Cocoa, uh, 3 three hundred twenty-eight K for an average of a hundred to two hundred dollars, and then you're gonna have to get the upgrade. What's the upgrade cost? About fifty bucks. You can buy that Triad board. It's about forty fifty dollars.
1: Yeah, I think it's around that. Um, yeah. And then the six through nine, but that requires a bit of soldering skills. Right. More. But, you but if, if you.
0: Mark. So, you know, then you're look So, so where does that, where do you end up with all these options here? You, I think you can buy them from Cloud9 software fully loaded. I think Mark has some on supply and he'll, he will do all the upgrades for you, make sure it works and send them to you. So, maybe I'll take one moment to switch over to my Cocoa page, which is called. Mm-hmm amacoconut.com where do i have it on my on my screen coco3 Curtis. yeah okay so here you go on my webpage which is my webpage is called ogstevestrow.com but i created a page called amacoconut.com Right. it just goes to this goes to my coco links page um, if you look under where would this be right now okay i think it, so if you look under buy sell trade under buy sell trade is cloud9 if you go to Cloud9, this is where you can buy memory boards. This is where you can buy processors, and I think you can buy, um, I think you can buy Coco threes here. I'm not mistaken. You might want to email Mark Marlette if you're in the Facebook group or the Cocoa mailing list. You can email him. You can go to Cloud9 um, to go there. Um, where do we go to get uh, the Coco SDCs? Well. This is Ed Snyder's group, which is called the Zipster Zone. His name is Ed Snyder, and you can can reach Ed Snyder in the mailing list and on the Facebook group. So Ed Snyder makes the Coco SDC, which is kind of a must-have thing, right? Now, unfortunately, most of the stuff that Ed makes, he makes the circuit board. He doesn't make the case. So who makes the cases? Well, John Strong makes the cases, right? So John Strong from Strongware makes all the 3D printed cases. So uh, I've been trying to compile resources on this one page. So if you need to know something about something in the color computer community, I've got a fairly good collection of it here on this page. And if somebody's not here that needs to be there, you let me know and I'll put you on there. Because for me, it's been a, a, a voyage of discovery as well. You know, I've gotten back into the... Cocoa thing a little less than two years ago, and I'm still learning a lot. Um, the greatest resources are, um, you know, I've said this a million times, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the book, the, um, the Colorful History of Tandy's Underdog Computer, Cocoa. It's a great book. It's a great thing to have. Another great resource is the Cocoa Crew podcast. There's now two years worth of these podcasts. I've learned a lot. And the first six episodes of listening to that podcast, I learned more. In the six years I owned my original color computer by listening to the tech segments and understanding how the hardware works and there's a million things that happened that I didn't understand and I now understand a little better. Uh, so the Cocoa Crew podcast has been great. The Facebook group is great. The mailing lists are great. All these things you can get through from my website. So Um, There are great resources out there for everyone. And, you know, I'm going to be the last person to say that I'm an expert in anything. I'm an expert at playing games very badly. That's about it. So um, (laughs) I am not a hardware expert. I'm not. I know nothing about electronics. All I know is that when I don't pay my bill, my electricity stops working. That's about my knowledge of electronics. Um, I'm not a software expert. I'm just I'm a guy who loves the machine. And I'm very fortunate that there's people like all these people on the screen above me here and in this community where we all share our knowledge about this machine. And um, I know that was one of our topics a couple weeks ago was what's it like to be in the community? And I think we all agreed that there really is no... um, There is no hazing or shaming in the community. So if you ask the quote unquote dumb question, nobody gets on your case for doing that. And you're going to probably ask a question that's been asked a thousand times before, but it's the first time, you know, it's a new problem for you. And the good news is, is everybody's really good about just kind of sharing that knowledge, you know, um, and so and I'm glad we're having talks like this where we can continue to, to discuss things and and this was a topic that was brought up. you know let's have a instead of the beginner non-technical discussion but um, anybody who's watching this now or in the future, if you have a question that you'd like discussed discuss in the future or you have a topic you'd like to discuss in the future, we'd love to, you know, make sure we can address whatever it is that people want to know about when it comes to these computers. All these faces above me, these guys are the experts. So I'm not the expert. I'm just a guy who yeah. likes to talk.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, Grant is a perfect example. He's just getting back into the cocoa after decades. And, and, you know, the memory's a bit rusty and all this stuff. He probably knew it back in the day. And feel free to ask any questions. I mean.
0: Yeah. I mean, most of any of the quote unquote expertise I have now, I've gained in the past two years from the community, from this kind of Borg collective, you know. So uh, I have assimilated um, this knowledge and there's it's a lot of it out there. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I wasn't no, none of us are born with knowledge, you know, it's just what you gain through life, you know, and hopefully share. Well, uh,
8: And the other thing, too, is changed that because uh, used to we'd write a program, we would save it to or you would save it to a floppy drive. Well, you can't do that today. So that's kind of changed a little bit as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you can if you have the floppies, <laughs> yeah.
8: if you can but, find them.
0: <laughs> yeah. But see, here's the here's the great thing, Grant, is with the Coco SDC, is you can create a, a virtual floppy on the fly. It'll create that image for you, and then it's on the SDC card. You can then copy it back to your PC, make a backup of it, load it in an emulator, or whatever you know. Um, sure. Yeah, so I've you been actually even put it onto a real floppy, exactly, yeah. and put onto a real and vice floppy versa. And vice versa, I started off doing things in an emulator, and then I copied them to the SDC card and ran them on a real Coco. So some of my basic programming I started virtually. I've now done kind of physically on the real hardware through the SD card. You know, so um, I'm I am definitely not. Um, Trying to bash the flash cartridge at all. It's a great product, but I think for most people's needs, the Cocoa SDC is the perfect solution for everyday use of using your Cocoa like a normal Cocoa. Um, The the flash cartridge has lots of other advantages for doing, you know, cartridge based things and storing lots of images that you can load up very quickly and easily. Um, But I think for normal day to day operations, Cocoa SDC is a great product, you know. You
2: could have both. Yep.
0: That and that's and that's see, here's we'll talk about what's what's rare right now on eBay and in general. Coco threes are rare and multi pack interfaces are rare. Multi pack interface is a little sidecar you plug into your computer to be able to plug more doohickeys into it, right? So um uh, Ed Snyder has created what's called a mini MPI, a miniature multi-pack interface. It's got just two slots, and so you can buy that from Ed and John. And John Strong makes the case for that. And I don't remember the price on that, but what is the price? It's it's not expensive either. It's something like fifty dollars for the thing, and it's it's well under a hundred dollars for the for the for the yep. thing and the case, which is less than you would pay on eBay. Alright, so on eBay multi-packs go pretty high, right? Multi-packs start at a hundred and go up, and then you still have to pay shipping. Okay, eighty dollars. Richard's saying it's about eighty. Okay. Um, Richard says, same here, was into the cocoa back in the eighties and nineties, now coming up to speed. Glenn Hewlett says I came back to the Cocoa about nine months ago. A lot to catch up on for me too. The Cocoa community has been a great help. Um uh, oh, oh, so Michael Brandt says the mini MPI comes with its own case, so it is a package deal. Okay, so it's about $80 for the MPI and the case, and it's going to work. Um, it only has two slots, and for the most part, you don't usually need more than two things at a time. So you could have like your SDC and your flash cartridge to transfer images back and forth. You could have your SDC and a real floppy controller to, to copy things from real floppies to virtual floppies you could have them like your SDC and like a speech sound cartridge or an orchestra 90 to take advantage of those most of the times you don't need for, for average use you don't need more than two slots it was only when you were doing like a serial card for printers and modems and a bunch of crap like that did you really need four cards at once um,
1: yeah. I, or I running a say, print shop right Bill? <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> I
1: would, would say every
0: slot filled
1: <laughs> and each I would, card was multi function IO, so that was. Wow.
0: Know. Yeah.
5: And now a word from our sponsors.
7: Finding a phone in a car isn't that unusual anymore, except when it leaves the car
2: for greener pastures,
7: the high seas, or a leisurely lunch. Radio Shack keeps you in constant communication with their affordable, transportable cellular telephone.
8: Hello? Oh, yes, he's right here. It's for you.
7: Yes, I heard about the merger. Five hundred shares.
8: The affordable, transportable
3: cellular telephone, only at Radio Shack.
0: Hey guys, original gamer Stevie Stroh here. And when you're done with Coco Talk, if you gotta have more cowbell, then head on over to my YouTube channel for your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find over thirteen hundred family-friendly gameplay videos, everything from the old school to the next gen, and over two hundred color computer gameplay videos, as well as interviews and replays of Coco talk so if you need your share of gameplay goodness then check out the original gamer stevie stro on youtube at youtube.com slash og stevie stro
2: hey
6: you've got your coco 3 yet hi this is rick adams author of temple of rom and shanghai and you've tuned into coco talk the nation's leading live talk show featuring the tandy color computer
0: Okay, and so, and then, yeah, David Ladd was saying that the Cocoa Flash also includes basically the Orchestra 90 compatible stereo output as well. So it's a two-for-one two, two for one deal there. I did not realize that, so that's cool. Yeah.
6: Yeah, it works nicely. I, and it's a 3.5 millimeter jack.
2: A so headphone therefore jack. Therefore,
6: you can use it with with the current, you know, your 3.5 to 3.5 cables that you'd use, like, from your cell phone to your car stereo or something like that. You just... But directly plug in you, headphones?
0: Yeah. Um, headphones. Yeah.
6: I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, if it's if it's if it's a headphone jack, you should be able to plug headphones into it, but it and might listen listen level. to it directly. Yeah, it might I be, line, it level be line level instead of level. Yeah. Okay, so it's really like quiet. a it's a preamp versus <laughs> an amplified. Okay. Yep. Um, and then Michael Brandt says with with some of the new sound cards that might change as far as needing new slots. Uh, I'm needing more multiple slots, but um, I, the way John Linbill is going to do it is the sound chip is going to be built into the ROM cartridge. Uh, John Strong might do it differently. But again, I think if you have a sound card that's a separate card, you, as long as you have an SDC and a sound card, you're probably good. Yeah. Um, be hard pressed. I, I. I. mean, I'm just. I'm having a hard time imagining why you need more than two things at once. But convenience is having. You know, and again, I got lucky. I got an MPI on eBay, and I got one at a decent price. And mine had to be updated with a different chip. It was called the PAL chip, and I had to change that so it was compatible with the Coco Three. But that was an easy change, too. Ed Snyder sent me that chip. Ed Snyder has been a great resource for anything hardware-related. You know, if you need it, he's got it. He doesn't charge hardly anything for whatever he's selling, you know, and uh, is, is a great resource. Um, yeah. Alexander Wallace is asking, is anyone still using a printer with the Coco? I heard someone mention they use a Laser HP. Very cu- Very curious how you drive one.
1: Yes, you can. Um, I've ran a laser in mine not anymore but I have and I also ran some of the inkjets at the same time it's basically just as long as you know the control codes for the printer, some printers will accept it just a text file and print it too um, some you have to send control codes and stuff to do everything because you're basically drawing things with pixels um, I at one time did a little driver thing for what the heck was it, the Canon 4100 inkjet or something like that, so I had stuff for setting fonts and all kinds of stuff in there, even running the test modes and stuff there too so yeah it's it's possible you probably need a serial to parallel converter or something and now most printers are going usb etc so that's getting a bit more complicated but not impossible
0: not impossible
1: yeah so and another
6: thing where drive wire comes in handy
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i i need to learn drive wire i think that's i think that might be a good topic for uh one of our talks is just to go over drive wire you know, well, especially if, since
1: you haven't ran it before, Steve. I you can run actually it before. do a
0: demonstration
1: with people helping you yeah. of how to set it up and get it running mm-hmm. and what
0: you can do with it. It would be a good topic.
3: Actually, it's really easy. I, the most difficult thing for me was getting the cable right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I Well, I purchased the cable from Cloud9. I still have it in the bubble wrap envelope that I haven't opened yet because I just haven't <laughs> had any need for it. I'll tell you why I'm interested in DriveWire now. And so. Um, Uh, I haven't ordered the Raspberry Pi 3 yet, but I want to order the Raspberry Pi 3 and try um, um, Ron Klein's Cocoa Pie image that he's created. I, I called him the other day. We spoke on the phone for a while. Um, cause I just, we were like doing Facebook messaging back and forth and I'm like, I'm driving, I'm in the car. I don't want to message. So we just, we chatted and, and I just picked his g- brain about this project and everything else. I haven't seen it yet, but I understand it very well. It is a really cool project. I really want to get a Raspberry Pi 3 running the Cocoa stuff, um, and, um, like, well, we mentioned that the best single Cocoa to have is a Cocoa 3 with 512K and a Hitachi 6309 processor. But guess what? You can emulate that in MAME, right? So, um, and the Cocoa Pi 3 is running MAME. And so, MAME will run every version of the Cocoa, Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, with any configuration of RAM and any configuration of CPUs that you can come up with. So, um, and it has drive wire support built into it. And it also has, um, it's sharing out a folder where your Raspberry Pi 3 shows up on your home network. So you can just drag and drop files to the system over the network. So if you need to load up games and ROMs and disk images to your Raspberry Pi, once it's on your Wi-Fi, you just drag and drop to it through your home network. So you don't even have to pull your SD card out anymore to do that kind of stuff. Um, So where this has got my brain thinking is, what happens if I'm running um, DriveWire on a PC That's on my home network, and this Raspberry Pi is on my home network. Will DriveWire find itself over the network, or does DriveWire require that physical cable to work?
6: Um, You will need, in the case of MAME, or XROR, or VCC, all three of them, you will need to give the IP address of the host machine that's running DriveWire.
0: Okay. Okay. And once I do that...
6: Yeah, um... With MAME, VCC, or XROR, you'll need the specific ROM for that specific edition of the COCO that you're trying to run for, and um, or Nitrous 9 if you're wanting to run Nitrous 9, but you just use the appropriate images and you're ready to go.
0: So you're saying that it will work over Wi-Fi? Or it'll work over the network? Yes. Okay. That's um... So that is when DriveWire is going to be really appealing to me is when I can have something like a Raspberry Pi Coco 3 accessing disk images off of my PC from my living room. And I can be playing it on my big screen with a wireless joystick, and now my Coco has become like an Xbox, and I'm sitting on my fat ass on my couch reclining (laughs) um, playing games.
1: By the way, Hugo's trying to get in on the call there, so if you want to help him with that.
0: Uh, Bonjour. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Um, uh, Hugo... You have to back scroll probably a bit there. Uh, well, why doesn't he just try to call in? Is he no longer in the Coco Talk group? Yeah, he said trying to join and then hasn't been able to get in yet. So, uh, I don't see.
1: know
8: if he. Okay. Now, do we have a problem with the uh, joystick still working on the uh, the emulator stuff on our PCs? Mm, for the most um, part, yes. <laughs>
6: um, if, if you're talking about VCC 1.43B. You can blame me. That 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 was my fault. That the uh, the PC joystick stuff got broke. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was corrected when it went came up to version 2.01. So as far as XRAR, I've not had any well, problems the, using the, joysticks with the, it.
0: The, the issue that I've had, and I've tried multiple emulators, is the issue is that when you connect a PC joystick to your emulator and, and the, the PC, jo- the Coco joystick reads from 0 to 63 on both axes, right? When you plug in these joysticks and you run a little basic program to try to read the accesses, I can never get into the corners. And so, like, the, 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 the far corners were always kind of clipped and unreadable in the range of motion from the Xbox controllers and other controllers. So um, I then went as far as buying the original craft joystick, which was the exact same joystick as the Coco, but for the 15-pin PC adapter, and then I got an adapter from there to USB and plugged that in. That also did not read the exact values, and so the problem that I had was not getting a joystick to be recognized by an emulator, it was getting the full 360-degree corner-to-corner range of motion recognized by the games. So um, your mileage may vary, but I've tried multiple controllers and adapters to make it happen. I could not get it to work. And what I ended up have, having sent to me by Jason uh, Steril is he created a six-pin DIN um, uh, Coco gamepad adapter to USB. So I could use real Coco joysticks on a, on a modern PC emulator and get the full range of motion. So when I do use an emulator, I'm using real, real hardware. Um, depending on the controllers you use, your, like I say, your mileage may vary. Now, what Ron Klein has said is that the the Wii U controller, which is a Bluetooth controller, it looks just like an Xbox controller. He says that's Bluetooth, and when you pair that to the Raspberry Pi, he gets the full range of motions on the analog sticks. And so that's another reason why I'm looking forward to trying that thing out. Is I'd love to be able to use an Xbox controller and play Coco games in my living room, you know. Um, Richard, hello, everyone from Blackpool, England. I had a Coco 2 when I was young, and I'm hoping to emulate one too soon so I can do 6809 assembly. Well, yeah, there is. Welcome, Richard. There is definitely um, there is no shortage of ways to emulate a Coco. Um, uh, and I, I think we had this discussion a while ago. We were talking about VCC over other emulators, which is the best one. Um, I hate to use the word "best" because it's just kind of not fair. There, uh, it's more best wo- for
1: your circumstances.
0: Yes, right? and yeah. I think I think in most cases, VCC is definitely the most user-friendly and and, uh, and user-accessible emulator, and it's the easiest one to get off the ground running with. Um, there are some. Issues with it, compatibility-wise, there are you know, there is no perfect emulator. The closest one to perfect is Mame, and the problem with that one is it's a pain in the ass to use. <laughs> so, um, XRoar is great with artifacting and everything else, but it has it's a pain in the ass to load cartridges. Um, you know, there's just there's not one perfect emulator. Um, so for 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 most purposes, if you just want to get up and running on a Cocoa, VCC is a is an easy way to do it. Uh, Evan Wright says I use Mame because it has a debugger. Yeah, I've heard that too, yeah. right? So, it's a beautiful uh, debugger. Yeah, that's something I'm going to have to learn in one of these days. So, um, I'll probably switch over. I use Mame. I'm definitely not going to uh, because I'm familiar with it. I I use it, and I'm very capable of being you know productive with Mame and with the Cocoa. It's just it's not for everybody. And I haven't yeah. done a how-to video on how to set that one up yet either. So, um,
1: Well, just getting ROMs that work with it is a pain in the ass because they keep yeah. changing the way the check goes. And you, you get a new version of MAME all of a sudden your old ROMs, which are perfectly fine, don't work anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I am looking forward to one day doing a demo on the Coco Raspberry Pi project. Now uh, Richard is saying that the VCC doesn't well work, doesn't work well on the interbank incident. And Glenn Hewlett saying I use MAME for emulation and LW Tools for assembly together. It's an amazing compared to how we used to assemble in the '80s. Yeah, um, LW Tools is a tool set. Is that what William Assel's setup? Yeah. Yes. All right. So that what is that called? A cross compiler where you're doing your work on a modern computer and then yeah, cross assembler. Cross assembler. Yeah. Cross-assembler? yeah. yeah.
7: Does both OS nine and RS so yeah. you got.
0: So it yeah. actually performs the assembly um, compiling as well and generates the binary file on the PC. Yeah. Yes. So you're using the speed of the modern processor. So I'm assuming you're going to compile a lot faster. Yeah, that's oh, why yeah. Nick
1: and I don't use it because that just doesn't remind us of the old days. So we do. it all the <laughs>
0: <school>. <laughs> And then do you do a quick compile? You send that over to the uh, old machine, and then it still runs. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yep.
7: Yeah, yeah. right. And then a,
1: that's where. You...
7: When I do a complete build of Nitrous Nine, it actually takes about five minutes.
0: <laughs> it I takes a bit longer it than it. that on
1: the real hardware.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Richard is asking if modern tools work better than EdTASM Plus. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: Even yes. though I still use the old tools myself, because that's part of my retro. My whole mindset of programming assembly, especially under OS Nine, was I would you know have a window running my source code, and then I have my assembler running. And then while I was assembling and down a huge program, this may take a couple of minutes, I'd be sitting there going through the code looking for what's the next part I can start working on and start thinking. And that's the way my whole thought process works. So when you go bink and it's done, it's just like I haven't had a chance to think of anything else. And I sit there for a couple of minutes trying to think. So for me, so you, it would just works better the old way. You thing.
0: actually needed that time for your brain to kind of decompress. and.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was just, it was just I got used to doing it that way. And for me, it's still the most comfortable. It's definitely not the most efficient. Well. And I think Nick's probably similar that way. Yeah. Well, yeah whereas Bill is all modern stuff.
0: <laughs>
7: <laughs> no, actually, I'm actually going back to using his credit card.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think when I start learning assembly, I want to start it in EdTasm because I think that's like the pure way to start. And then once I've learned it a little bit, I'll probably want to embrace some time-saving techniques uh, on future projects. But I want, I want, I want to go through some struggle when I learn it. I want to, I, I want to, you know. You'll be able to follow William Baden's excellent book on that's that's uh, color my plan.
4: Assembly and it yeah. uses edtasm. Very my specifically.
0: P- yep. That's my plan. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, and I'm hoping I can learn it. And run to be honest, on Cocoa. small
1: project speed isn't an issue. You can assemble a, you know, a. Two hundred and fifty byte program in a second or two on EdTASM. It's not slow. It's when you're doing big projects like Nick or me or Bill are doing, that yeah. becomes a big drag.
8: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would. I look forward to doing that because I, uh, when I was uh, my younger days, when I got my Coco 2, I uh, stayed away from assembly language because I just thought that was like the adult language and <laughs> it was yeah, the same thing.
1: Steve said it in the past too, so it's and to yeah. be honest, yeah, even for me. It, it took me three or four years before I even, even tried doing even the smallest routine because it just scared the hell out of me, to be honest.
8: Especially when you saw the uh, typing they did in the rainbows. <laughs> You're like, wow, yeah, that? What's that? This,
1: this, this clears the screen and you was know, like multiple lines. So, yeah. It's 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 intimidating, but once you get into it, you once you get that first hit of speed, yeah. where you do something in assembly, just a little routine, scroll the screen or something in sideways or whatever, and you see that, and you see how fast it goes compared to what you try to do in BASIC, and then you kind of get hooked, and then you you start getting more and more into
0: it. So,
3: it only looks more efficient with all that typing. It actually. <laughs>
0: Well, that I think that might be one benefit, too, to using a PC is being able to type on a natural keyboard that is more responsive. Because every time I try to type on the Cocoa keyboard, I just want to smash it. And the one thing that my... <laughs> They're, they're, my my deluxe joystick is very lucky in the fact that it's 35 years old and I don't have a spare two-button one, or I would have broke it 50 games ago trying to play games, but especially <laughs> Popstar Pilot, I would have rage-smashed that controller a long time ago. Steve, <laughs> every time you I might get... have to get uh, Cloud9's uh, PS2 keyboard adapter then, you can yeah. actually run a PC keyboard on the real thing. So Right, so every time I get ready to smash that joystick, I go, I can't do it, can't afford another one. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, oh, no. but,
1: Richard, but you can't adapt a PC keyboard to run on a, on a Cocoa, and, and and Bill and I got quite used to that with the TC9 too, so it's yeah, quite a common yeah. today.
0: Yeah, I have a, I have a, like a nice Logitech ergonomic cordless keyboard with like a, a a palm rest and the whole nine yards, so it's very very comfortable for me to type on this versus the Cocoa um I, well i only have one two button deluxe joystick michael i have i have i have a couple of the one button ones but i've only got one of two buttons uh michael brand says i think i can fix that he might have a few del- a few extra deluxe joysticks okay that would be good to know
1: so. <laughs> just reading some of the other comments in the chat too uh richard's asking he says he has a 69 programming reference manual what's your favorite book for coco 2 programming uh, I would rank Barden's, um, Tepco's by Lawrence Teppold. He had a one on specifically for the Coco 1 and 2, and then he did an addendum for the Cocoa 3. Um... There was another one. Uh, Don and Kurt Inman did one specifically on color computer Assembly language graphics that was really good for the graphics and sound. That's what it concentrated on. It didn't do like sorts and a bunch of other weird stuff. Leventhal's is a good one if you're into that the technical side. Up. And that's a hard one if you're just starting to assembly to learn how to do anything because it's written very technically. It's a great reference book, though.
0: Here is
1: And there's the... six or nine books, too, just to mention. Here and are
8: those the... on the archive websites?
0: Yeah, most most if not all.
8: Is the William okay, Barden you. book
0: on the archive website? That one is the TEPCO yes, one for is. sure. Is okay. So here's the, here's, a, here's a copy of the William Barden book. So I've got I actually ended up getting a couple of these because every time sometimes I'll buy a computer that comes with books and uh I get a few spares. I probably bought one of these on the auction too, just because they're kind of cool to have. So yeah, I, and I like having the old paper book too. Sometimes it's just nice to go through. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is the book that I'll be using when I start to learn assembly will be the Barden book because I understand that's kind of like a really good starting point, to, especially to use um, Ed Taz and Edtaz. everything else. Yeah.
1: This is the Tepco one, too, which I think I got a bit more into the um, graphics and sound a bit more than the Barden book did. So I found it a pretty good reference, too. And if you can find it, it's a rare one. Don and Curtiman had the so many language graphics for the color computer that solely concentrates it was actually you get you write a space invaders game as part of the tutorial in the
0: book hmm. it's a really good yeah, one but it's hard I would to, find. Love to find that one yeah
7: another good one is the sixty eight oh nine micro language lab from dennis battery keats too that's hmm. another good one
0: yep
7: and that one is available in the archive
0: huh? okay i forgot about
1: that one he actually had a cassette uh, learning lab that went with that too those yeah. are actually online, you can get those.
3: And he had a few copies of those. I bought one of them from a couple years ago, but I think he's out now. He had like 15 copies or something of the, the original printed. Yeah. yeah. After these messages, we'll be right
4: back.
8: Let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. Uh, There's more. The Color Computer is an educational
7: aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic
8: information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 Color Computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers.
7: Where can you turn to find the latest news and information about the Tandy Color Computer? Only one place, the Coco Crew Podcast. Join Neil Blanchard and John Linville each month as they scan the internet and social media for the latest stories about the Tandy Color Computer Compatibles and other 6809 based computers. It's the Coco Crew Podcast. Visit www.cococrew.org and begin listening today.
0: Cool. I'm sure we I'm sure we haven't scratched the surface on questions that um, people will have. but um you know, I, I think this was a great idea that we came up with this. Um, attempt at trying to be non-technical and (laughs) and user-friendly. But at at any given time, anytime we have a cocoa Talk, it is open to any question. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, And and I know we've said it, and maybe it's worth saying it again. You know, um, everybody in this community is very accommodating with sharing their knowledge. And it doesn't matter if you're a rookie if you're new if you you know um you don't have to be a hardware electronics engineer or a software engineer to be to be a cocoanut you know and have a cocoa. and if you have a question um it's 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 okay you're among friends it's a safe you're in a safe space right so in the safe space yeah. of of coco dum, um there <laughs> there is there's never there's never a question that's that's um that you'll be shunned for for asking unless you're going to start asking about Apple products and then we might get out the uh, sock and the bar <laughs> <of> soap. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but as long as it's a cocoa question, there are no there are no dumb cocoa questions. There are no bad cocoa questions. So, in a future yeah. talk, whatever you know these guys are rambling about, if you have a simple question, just yell it out, yell it out in the chat, and we'll try to get to it. Um, and address it in the future. I, I
1: think we'll try to do a mix of, of like themed ones because every once in a while we'll come up with an idea we we'll want to try it and see how it works. Mm-hmm. Like we did this time around. Like another one I've thought of that I don't think I've even talked to Steve about. It's a little bit different than some of the ones we've been doing lately. Is to have uh, a game playing one where you can give tips and tricks for playing your favorite games or little cheats and stuff like that or yeah. techniques that you can do to you know do better in a game. Maybe throw in a few cheat pokes so if you're getting too frustrated you can just change and give yourself 255 men. Um, yeah, you know, kind of cover another part of the Coco scene that we, Steve does a lot of covering on his own on his own page, but we don't really have a
0: discussion on it. True, true. And like projects, if somebody has a project, like I'm like hopefully from time to time, when Nick Marentis gets a little bit further down the road with his new game, we can maybe have him share some information. You know, we want to do a uh, an interview with Bruce and Jacob on Forest of Doom, so we can maybe have some of these talks be kind of a project overview slash q and session. Um, so there's really, you know, there's really no wrong way to talk about Cocoa stuff if you like talking about Cocoa stuff. So, yeah, that's the great thing about this is this whole thing started completely randomly, kind of unplanned, and it's just kind of become a thing that continues to take shape, you know. Um, so um, I, I like the idea of having a topic. I like the idea of sometimes having an agenda. And I like that. And there's been plenty of talks where we didn't know what we were going to talk about and it didn't stop us. You know, so it can be and each one could be a mixture of all of those too. So, yeah.
1: um I mean, but, maybe maybe we do segmented talks kind of like they do on the podcast where they have a certain section for news and a certain section for tech talks and stuff. Maybe we do the same thing. We have just a general free for all for one hour and we have a a themed one if we have a theme that particular week for the other
0: part of the hour or whatever, you know, we can vary it up. So, yeah, yeah. So I think I think things will take shape over time. This has only been our seventh show. And um, I think the good thing about this, too, is the fact that it is so dynamic that we can bounce back and forth at any given time. So sometimes the lack of structure is kind of good to talk about a variety of things. Um, you know, so it's good. Um, so the only way we're going to know what people want to talk about or what people want to hear about is to get some feedback. So make sure you guys leave comments on these videos or reach out to us on Facebook um, reach out on my website ogsteviestro.com. Um, if you you know if you want to find out if you're new to the color computer community, I have tried to compile as much information in one place as possible on my website. So if you go there, it's a good launch pad to get you to the Like uh, it, it blows my mind, and I and I say it, and I don't say it to be disparaging, but um, when somebody says something, when you see these comments come across. Like uh, I, I, somebody put a co- somebody put a comment in Facebook yesterday or today saying, "Oh, Coco Fest." That's a word I haven't heard of in a while. If you guys saw that one or not, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, you know, I've only known about Coco Fest for two years, but it's been going on for 26. So where have you been? <laughs> but you know, I I would I say things like that not to be mean spirited, but yeah, it's amazing how much um, how people come in all the time with different perspectives, and I and when I came. Into this two years ago, I, I didn't know anything, and so I've spent on this voyage of discovery. Um, and I'm trying to kind of capture what I learned along the way to, to share with everybody. Um, what do we have here? Paco says also for starting off, setting up DriveWire 4 server on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can talk about. I definitely think we should do one on ra- we should do one on drive wire in the future because mm-hmm. I need to learn that. I think doing hardware um, that was really good how David put his camera down and showed the hardware thing. We could try to do something like that where we can have a close up of a hardware project um, interviews
1: using the simpler upgrades like you were mentioning earlier, like how to put a basic ROM
0: in. Do an interview on things. Um, talk about project updates as people are doing their blogs. If they want to give us a uh, an audible update on what they're blogging about and what they're working on, be happy to hear that kind of stuff. And then whatever the people watching want to want to talk about or hear about, we're we're down for that. You know. Um, <laughs> Evan Wright says yes. DriveWire. I know nothing about that. All right. So you and I are on the same page, Evan. So um, that's nitroso9 cool. <laughs> Nitrous 09. Well, uh, I know that Nitrous 9 is a little bit better than Nitrous 8, right? <laughs> oh, way
8: better.
0: It's way, way better. A whole version better. It's a whole version better, right? So uh, DriveWire, yeah, that was one of the topics that we came up with was on the list was to talk about OS 9 in general to um demystify OS9 do we need to do like an OS9 unravelled series <laughs> so i think uh, i think nick would just burn the book so probably yeah not. right so <laughs> 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 um, what what might help at least for me too is that again getting back to this raspberry pi thing ron klein has put together um RAS bootable OS9 uh, things from the menu so you can launch straight into OS 9 from this Raspberry Pi thing and try it out. Um, Hugo says, I have both DriveWire and the Cocoa SDC and I find myself simply using the SD card to copy stuff and use it on the Cocoa 3. Um, G- Glenn Hewlett says, I'm with Evan. I've been ignoring it, but I would like to know more about it. I think he's talking about DriveWire. Yes. And then Evan Wright says, yes, uh, 09 as well. So yeah, it looks like there's a, there's a thirst for for more discussions to go on there. So that's good. An appetite. Appetite for knowledge. Yep.
8: Three more shows, you have topics.
0: We got more topics. We got more topics. Uh, or you so could
8: go through the whole OS 9 manual. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> Paragraph one. <laughs> <Yeah>.
8: <laughs> if, if I remember correctly, that was a very thick book. from my
1: 11, 1,200 stuff. pages somewhere around there, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that wasn't just OS9. That was the basic one. I, and the technical reference and the windowing stuff, like it was chunks, so a bit more digestible. If you just concentrate on the part you wanted to learn. I want to see Steve do an
4: OS9 um, tutorial. i got to yeah. learn it. I want to, I want to I see Nick it.
1: co-host it, actually.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good so, luck on that. So, so – should we
0: All do right. it as should we do it as Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> <laughs> this this is Arnold Schwarzenegger and I want to talk to you about Nitrous nine. It's got so much power. <laughs> you can multitask. Get down, get down. <laughs> <laughs> and Nickel Gesto says
1: the Australian accented pee-wee hermit. <laughs> oh jeez.
0: <laughs> well, I like when You're he did it uh, today, Curtis. I like, I <laughs> Clint like Clint Eastwood coming. Clint Eastwood, yes. What you have to ask yourself is, <laughs> <laughs> do you feel lucky? Do you really want to try typing DOS, punk? Yeah. Do you? Do you? <laughs> 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 we got bad impressions for n- days.
1: N- nothing but serious talks here, folks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, lot
6: serious a long time ago
1: <laughs> So what was that mark
3: they get what they pay for
0: they get you get what you pay for <laughs> right
1: yeah <laughs> actually given what they pay
0: for it here I feel overpaid <laughs> tens of twenties of cents hmm. so we got lots to talk about anything else we want to talk about while we're still together any questions from the people watching or anything else that you guys are here now Hugo are you in the call I see your face but I haven't heard you speak. Um,
5: can you hear me?
0: I hear you. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Bonjour. Okay, yeah.
5: I, I was bonjour. I was just listening. You know. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh,
0: I just want to make sure you were there. Very uh,
5: interesting. I was wondering. Uh, that was not me, by the way. um mm-hmm. <laughs> Using uh, drive wire. Uh, is is there is there much more things that you can do with drive wire that you couldn't do by just flipping back and forth uh, SD card with the uh, SDC? I was yes. just wondering.
1: Drivewire is a whole lot So that adds stuff like yeah, accessing the internet. Like, uh, okay. Um, hmm. uh, accessing wait, printers wait. from your PC where you can print from the Kogo to a printer, etc. Like that kind of stuff you can do under Drivewire.
5: Okay, nice. I, I guess, well, I guess I should have read some documentation before asking questions. But I, I'm pretty sure it most, worry people, about it. most people don't have any idea how... Powerful it can be then, yeah, yeah. just not for uh, accessing files. Now, Bill so. Pierce,
1: for example, on his M shell, he uses drivewire, so you can actually get auto software updates right into your Nitrous Nine boot directly from the Cocoa itself. You don't have to copy anything; it just goes right through your PC through drivewire onto the internet.
5: Um, that's that's good. Happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm not uh, very big user. Um, I'm not a very, very big user of OS nine. Uh, it's more hey, typically uh, laser shoot, laser shoot library, or King's Quest mostly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I boot, I boot in OS nine, and I, that's about it. Uh, I, I like common line uh, interfaces. I just don't have any need for it right now.
1: Yeah, unless you wanted to like do a printout of say one of your listings for that game project you're working on, you want to actually put it on a printer on your PC, and you know, so it's easier to look at chunks of. Code, you know, at different times, something like that. You might so let me ask you
0: this. You just got got me thinking about something. What if your PC driver is something like Adobe Acrobat and you want to get a digital copy of a listing? Could you do that as well, like print to a PDF Mm -hmm. printer? I've never tried, but I don't see why not. That would be interesting. That'd be kind of cool to do, uh, like an L list and then print out your basic code to ends up being captured as a PDF file that you can then, you know, OCR and everything else.
5: Right. One one more idea. Uh, would it be possible to have like a tiny little resident uh, program uh, uh, that you could access from BASIC, for example, with uh, using a key that's never used, like F one or something, to uh, send your uh, COCO uh, your BASIC listing to your PC or import directly a BASIC listing from the PC? That would be pretty nice. Because I, I don't. I keep... Yeah. Sorry.
1: I I don't think it has that built in right now unless somebody can correct me, but there's
0: no reason it couldn't. Mm -hmm. Are there such things like as terminate and stay resident programs that can run in a COCO?
5: Oh, yeah. You you just have to hijack the uh, keyboard interrupt uh, and be nice with the... Be uh,
0: nice with it, huh? Be nice with it. Be nice with basic. (laughs) Yes. Okay.
1: Um, now, a lot of well, people did of extensions course. to BASIC for that same reason and using the same techniques, Sam, but people have made you know, full-line screen editors and stuff that are callable from BASIC. So that's, that's been done a lot over the years. Uh, so there's no reason. Yeah, you could you could do that with the driveway driver too.
5: I wrote uh, some bits of code uh, that actually can cohabit with uh, BASIC and that won't break uh everything uh because of course the uh, the uh if you run a program for the if you run a Cocoa tree and you run a Cocoa tree uh program uh, it will tr- most of the programs will try to use almost every single uh memory space or uh interrupts of fast interrupts and everything that's available but uh if you're running coco 2 programs on a Cocoa tree uh, it leaves you uh, lots of flexibility uh, to to have uh, resident uh, programs now. I don't yeah. know what are the options. I mean, what would you you want to do? But I, I guess there, there are some uh, possibilities. Uh, by the way, I was looking at software uh, solutions to have uh, uh, to emulate uh, the um, artifacting uh, using software. Uh, I guess that would be a totally crazy project.
1: Oh wow! <laughs>
5: uh, I remember
1: like- uh, Nick? sock was talking about doing that at one time do you know if you ever finished yeah. that
5: i no. think I would, I would require a 6309 because there wouldn't be enough power uh processing power uh, in in the uh 6809 basically uh, that would require me to run some kind of a fast interrupt to uh uh to copy bunches of pixels from the uh Coco two uh, video mode the P mode four to uh, one of the Coco three modes that is four colors and has the same resolution. That's feasible. That would probably induce some lag, but I, I, I would I would guess I guess it would require uh, a slightly faster processor to do that.
1: Yeah, since like we're not a native mode, maybe
5: yes, whatever. that that's a possibility, and that's quite interesting. Uh, I mean, it's. It would be a very nice trick, really, try, be, being able to do that. I was also thinking about doing that for uh, semi graphics, but that would be very complex. And you can't read, uh, you, can't, you can't really know where the uh, graphics, uh, the graphic pages are located for the uh, Coco 2 uh, modes. The, uh, the port where, where you uh, set the value is write only think it's the PR or something. So anyway, we're getting very technical there.
0: That's okay.
5: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: So it's not a fixed topic. We don't have to stick with this just being
0: yes. you know,
5: the the questions. Yeah, the we're getting to thing. bounce back and forth. Yeah. Anyway, oh. uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll leave the conversation go. Yeah. Well,
0: it, it might be nice to get some updates from you, Hugo, as well, in a future talk. If you want to share some uh, information about your projects you're working oh. on right now, as well, you know.
5: Oh, I'm re- I'm refactoring. Uh, it's very uh, as I wrote. It rhymes with boring. Uh, <laughs> basically, I removed <laughs> all, the, uh, and, uh, all the test and all the test elements. Everything that that I wrote to have a one level running, I remove everything from uh, from the from the main uh, program, so that I can now. Uh, build the code to have multiple levels ah so okay are lots of things because uh i'm a guy who plans a lot when i program but that part i just wanted to have to get you know some results quickly sure and now sure. I, I have paid a price because i yeah. built over a very bad very limited foundation Mm. Uh, I guess other people who wrote games uh, run into that kind of trouble uh, as well. Uh, you want to show results and you know, have people say, "Wow, in the short term, it's good for. Uh, it gives a boost to your motivation. But now I have to remove everything and, uh, from, from the, uh, the core code and start over with uh, different sequencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the events but uh, i guess i'll have something uh, in a few days or weeks uh, if i get the time
0: okay so does that really, does that draw from yeah. your motivation is it now become like a more of a labor of labor instead of a labor of love when you're like oh crap now i gotta go back to the drawing board and do everything else does that like make you draw it out longer
5: this uh well you know, it it can be hard on the motivation, and uh, you, you know, you uh, you 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 keep trying to run your code. Uh, it doesn't even compile, or it crashes all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that the smart thing to do was to remove all the uh, object create, creation code and start with you know the plain uh, game core uh, code. Uh, you know, the the engine itself, bare bones, and You know, re inject things uh, inside it one at a time, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of trying to save everything. You you can't save everything, it's some of it's really bad code. So uh, I have to be humble at that point. But uh, what looked like a mountain looks more manageable right now because I removed everything. I can go a little bit of it at a time, but I don't have the motivation of being able to play with it
0: you know yeah yeah
5: now I was just there's wondering. nothing to play with <laughs> that's yeah. why it takes a while and uh, i don't give any update right now but uh in a short while i'll be able to show uh probably uh, level you know level transitions one one of my short-term goals and you know you have to set your goals mm-hmm. uh, this has to motivate you in a way like Uh, Showing uh, results or having other people try your code, that's a great source of uh, motivation. Uh, Well, unless they say your game is crappy, but that never (laughs) happened to me because I'm so talentful. (laughs) And modest too, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm the best in modesty. So, uh, by the way, today is uh, cross, Croissant Day in Montreal. And oh. I'm in my office. And, uh, <laughs> it sucks. So, anyway, uh, let the other people talk a bit. So it's very nice to be with you all. Yeah, guys. yeah, it's
0: nice to have you. And from Thanks what we've by. from what we've all seen, that project looks absolutely amazing. It looks like a sixteen-bit platformer from you know what you're <laughs> putting up there right now. It looks really well, good. So
5: you know, well, another thing that's really motivating is uh, seeing other people, uh, you know, uh, uh, jumping into uh, very uh, ambitious projects. You know, not not trying to. Uh, redo what's been already done or mm-hmm. you know when I look at uh, Nick's new project, it's also a source of motivation. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's gonna look great. Uh, yes. the guy has lots of experience. it has nothing more to prove. but at the same time with the tools we have today, uh, I know uh, this will be a, an incredible space shooter. And I can't wait to see the first uh, few animations or the first graphics. Um, And with the uh, uh, high color uh, menu that there might be in this game, this will look uh, fantastic. I don't know if Nick is still uh, on the call. Uh, Yes, I guess It's very late uh, in Australia, I guess.
4: Early, actually.
5: Oh, yeah, it's, like, it's like four
0: yeah. or five. It's like five a.m. for five it's or six, six a.m.
4: in the six morning. Six <laughs> so- a.m. Yeah, you
5: know, I'm literally at the opposite on the opposite side of the planet. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Nick, do you think you'll have something to show uh, in a few days, or? <laughs> uh,
4: I have. You know, you, I yeah. have uh, things to show even now, but I'd rather sort of. Uh, I sort of stage the work out. In other words, I have a plan. I'm going to do, say, sound, and I, I do it completely, and then I announce it. I don't sort of show bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis knows because he gets a sort of behind-the-scenes look at a lot of my work. Not um, a lucky, lucky <laughs> guy, I guess. So I, I do actually have some things, um, some of the base routines um, up and running, and I'm adding to it at the moment. So when I do the next chapter on my blog, I can talk all about it then, rather than just, you know, today I did this, tomorrow I did that. You know, it's gets a mm-hmm. bit monotonous if you just keep hearing that was and yeah, it sounds more impressive if you just tell everyone yet yeah, i've done all the graphics bang this is what it looks like
5: uh just a question uh yeah. on the cocoa tree you can have a line per uh line by line uh vertical scrolling right you can yes. you can be that yes. precise yes that's, that's very nice uh that's yes. you know on other platforms, such as the Commodore 64, people don't realize there's a lot of scrollers, but uh, the programming behind it is totally insane. It's very ugly. Uh, on the Coco, you get you, you can add, actually program it uh, in a very neat uh, way. The the code will look good. It doesn't resort to any uh, bizarre tricks. There's the hardware to help you. Um, well, uh, but you, you you mentioned you wanted to have some kind of a control panel on screen.
4: Uh, well, having said that the Coco has all these nice hardware, the, the method I'm actually employing in my current game doesn't use any of those hardware tricks at all. Uh, I've actually got a completely different way to do it, which I'll explain in the next chapter. Uh, and I do that for a very good reason, um, mainly because when you when you use the hardware, you are restricted to what the hardware can do. So if you have a certain way you want to do things or a certain need, well the hardware doesn't let you do it. You have to do it the way the hardware dictates. So the method I'm doing is a different approach whereby I have the control, so I get to do things the way I want it to work. Uh um,
5: no, that's quite interesting and uh, well you know if you look if we look at the 8-bit 8-bit plat- uh, platforms out there uh, I guess the, the hardware puts some very severe uh, limitations on what you can and cannot do at the same time having a a, f- a good processor uh, I guess it allows it allows you to uh, c- circumvent some of these uh, limitations um, but I was. Someone posted recently uh, a, a little uh, video or a link to uh, some guy who ported. Uh, uh, was it Rescue on Fractalus was ported on the PC, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought, what's the point? I mean, this guy, this game existed in this state with this kind of story because that's the limit of what we're able to do at the time today it's it's a bit irrelevant uh, on the pc or on any very powerful computer so uh anyway i'm digressing a little bit it's okay <laughs> uh, but uh yeah well i'll, I'll be wait, we'll we'll all be waiting for your next blog entry because your single entry looks very lonely up there
4: nah, <laughs> yes
7: <laughs> and now these messages
6: Radio Shack,
4: America's technology
2: store. Computer shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85 megabyte hard drive, only $1299. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only 8.99.95. dollars Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior
7: service. Nobody compares.
8: Something new is coming. Tandy Assembly. Tandy Assembly is about Radio Shack and Tandy computers. Tandy Assembly is about
7: interacting. Tandy Assembly is about people. Tandy Assembly is about fun. The first gathering of its kind. Computers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. All Radio Shack and Tandy makes and models.
1: Join
8: Join us. us.
5: Don't miss Tandy Assembly. In Chillicothe, Ohio. October 7th and 8th. Whether you're near or far, Tandy Assembly
7: is for everyone. Visit our webpage at www.tandyassembly.com. Tandy, Tandy Assembly. This Christmas, Radio Shack has something for people on the move. With Tandy's line of notebook PCs, we've got the features you need, quality engineered for rugged travel. And you get the same desktop power you've come to expect in the office. So take a Tandy notebook PC wherever your life takes you. Four different models to choose from, starting at $5.99. Only at Radio Shack, technology
6: store.
5: We now return you to Coco Talk.
4: Well, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be a monthly thing, so... <laughs>
5: Well, yeah, when yeah. you were pro- when you were programming Popstar Pilot, I think there was a very long uh, lull at some point where you almost abandoned the project. Yes, and yes, there was. Yes,
4: and, and and you raised the issue just before about the motivation, and uh, that is very relevant for a lot of programming. You've got to, the programmer has to be motivated to do it because it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a bit of a lull there in the middle of Popstar Pilot, where the motivation had uh, had been lost, and I started doing a few other projects. But then I I brought myself round, got myself re-motivated, and I continued and decided I'm going to finish this no matter what, and and I have.
0: So the motivation was made.
4: Yeah. Yeah, the motivation is a very important factor. So,
0: yeah, and I can I can relate in a sense too cuz even just working on my video series of going through the book in basic. It's like I don't even have to write a game right now. I just have to read a chapter and do a video. And even that, I found sometimes it's hard to be motivated because it's not necessarily fun. You know, it's not its not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily fun. So sometimes you have to kind of push yourself through there. What I find, too, and I'm going to have to wrap this up pretty soon, too. I got people poking their head in my door here. Um, what I find sometimes, too, is when I go to do a project, and even if it's not a programming project, but if I'm going to design a flyer or a spreadsheet or anything, my biggest problem is, is I have this big vision in my head on what the perfect utopian holy grail final product should be, and I want the 1.0 draft to be that. I have a hard time starting from humble beginnings and working my way to a final product. I just want everything to be perfect from the beginning. And when it's not, I get frustrated and I lose interest and I can't force myself to want to keep doing things. And I have that problem making videos for YouTube. I have that problem doing the, a, a series and things. And sometimes I lose interest or I lose motivation. And so I'm just curious when, you know, you guys are working on these big projects, what do you do to to hold on to it or to get it back, you know, because it, it it is it is a Labor of love to continue to
4: you know kind of power through some of these things. Well, it's no doubt no doubt that uh, putting the games together uh, is a lot of work. Um, what I tend to do is I, um, I I break the whole project down to smaller stages and I sort of um, concentrate on that segment only. And I finish that segment, then I move on to the next segment. And bit by bit, it builds up. It also helps when you um, take all the different challenges that are needed in the game. Like with Popstar Pilot, the big big challenge in that was trying to achieve uh, a split-screen hardware one-byte scroll. Uh, that's what the. That's what I wanted the game to do. That's pretty, that was a pretty challenging part, and that's that's what motivated me. Trying to make that work, so that kept me going, as well as a few other features in the game as well. Getting them to work was what motivated me. Once I had achieved those goals, well, the rest was just work. I just I actually had to write the game then, <laughs> so. Hence why, halfway through, I sort of lost motivation. I did all the challenging bits, and then I thought, well, you know, what's the motivation now? The game, I know I can write the game now, but... um that's not motivating enough. I think a lot of the motivation also comes from having people showing an interest in your work. Um, There's not much point spending all that time when there's no one interested. So, you know, you you tend to lose motivation. But when people show an interest, if you put a part of your program up on the Facebook page or whatever and then people comment and say, oh, that looks really good or even those that say, oh, that'd be good if you added this or changed that. That feedback from the community is also what gives you motivation and that that becomes a challenge to satisfy that um, motivation that others have. So, yeah, that's what drives it, I guess. That's why why I do the blog page. That's why I Mm -hmm. announce on the Facebook page what my uh, current progress is because I'm looking for feedback. It's the feedback that drives the motivation.
5: But the, the the community has evolved a lot over the last five years, from from what I can see, uh, we're more connected. We have uh, we have these uh, chats. Uh, the Facebook page is very active. Uh, I think uh, this the amount of interest that you generated with your project. Uh, I guess it was a surprise at some point you you didn't expect that when you started right
4: no no i didn't um when i started it of course it was a challenge um and then when i completed the challenges well then i and i said i i I lost motivation well um that's because i didn't expect there to be that many people actually interested in the final product and anyway i kept on going i kept on going and decided to finish it and in the end when i did put it up for sale, I thought I'd sell only at the most 20 copies uh, and I sold 80 so that goes to show there are a lot of people who are interested I, and I'm now more motivated to do my new game than what I was when I started Pop Star Pilot because I know that there aren't people who are interested and as you say it's in, in the last five years the Coco community has really come a long way I, I, for me anyway here in Australia uh, the Coco community Is more active now than what it used to be back in the 80s when, well, in Australia, we were far away from the US market anyway, so it was a little bit quiet. But now, with the help of the internet and Facebook and um, everything, and these these chats and the videos that Steve's doing, it's just made the whole thing uh, bigger and and more accessible. And now it gives me more of a purpose to try and, and do these projects.
5: Oh, that's great. That's uh, good. You know, well, uh, Steve. Uh, Steve, are are we uh, like uh, are we running very late for you? Well, or? what
0: I wanted to do when we speak about the community and speak about the um, uh, projects, I think this is a great segue right now to bring up the Coco Map.
5: <laughs> yeah because, I was happy you, you took over because uh, here it is about motivation, I, I have lost my motivations on, on the way uh, I, I could still manage the map but I mean I, I entered more than 200 uh, of these yeah dots. you did you I'm did. happy you, you, you entered the 50 next
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so and I have more to do I have more I have more yeah. people to respond to but so it's this is piling a, this...
5: Up, it's piling up and at some point they're, they're gonna get like uh, um, a bit impatient
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the backlog right now is only two or three people I'll get to them today so um, so I this mean, is a
5: what, what happened what, what happened in that
0: <laughs> um, so this is a map that Hugo started and he shared it with us on Facebook and I think it also got shared out on the mailing list and uh, 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 earlier this week there was about two hundred and fifteen people on here now there's like over two hundred and fifty right so um, and this is people around the world who own color computers who have at least total Told us where they live but we're not asking you for your home address just like your uh, you know city state and zip code and you know and you can see we have a very good concentration in North America we've got a pretty good representation down here in South America even in Mexico Alex was here earlier and Alex was the guy I added from Mexico so we have Colombia here's Mexico over here um, so South America is looking pretty good we've got a nice European um, collection here uh, we have uh, Austria, even, which is kind of new. Switzerland is here to, representing, right? Uh, what is wrong with Francais right now? Why is there no viva la Francais? Uh, yeah.
5: the, the French uh, were very fond of uh, other other 8-bit computers, I can't uh. remember which ones, but some uh, of the 8-bit platforms were extremely popular there to the point that there was no market for other computers. Uh. The uh, the, the, I mean, uh, I could do some research. Uh, have, I have a few friends in France and I could ask them actually but that. that's an interesting uh, well, interesting uh, observation. And by the way, if people want to organize an event, they, they can actually see whereas the
0: um, yeah we have like VCF. The,
5: you know a nice spot to organize it for example if you organize something in uh, brussels uh, you're gonna have people coming from denmark and uh the uk uh without any trouble i mean the distances are quite short now in north america okay. you would organize something in columbus for example you'd get all of the northeast and maybe even TV. Uh, if you you want to uh, hit the road <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's been my dream to be a traveling uh yeah you know, i want to hit every retro show there is around the world you know at some point in time so i need to get a few more couple hundred million subscribers on my youtube channel to help fund this <laughs> well,
5: my, next, my next challenge is to drive to ohio <laughs> oh yeah October. for the
0: tandy assembly yeah. yeah so um yeah so this map is neat so you can uh this map there's a link to this map on my uh youtube uh, facebook or my website whatever yeah it's on my website i'm a um and you can email me or hugo um or leave a comment on the mailing list um and we'll try to get you in there so let me go back to some of the comments in chat because we have gotten through a, uh, i've missed a few of them so when we were talking about motivation um well evan Wright's the one who brought up the map too earlier so we are talking about motivation. Evan Wright says, the key to happiness is setting the bar low. <laughs> uh. And then Evan says, uh, you can de- de- decomposing helps break the problem into several test programs to tackle each issue separately. That sounds good. Uh, Evan Wright says, Newfoundland, there are COCO users in Newfoundland. Yeah. Um, actually, when you talk about France, though, too, I have that commercial for Coco Du um, from France. And there was also the cl- uh, kind of a, a red version of the MC10 that was called the Alice. Wasn't that a French machine as well?
5: I have no idea. By the way, are you sure it's not a French Canadian? Uh, oh, that publicity. could be French Canadian. That's French Canadian.
0: French Canadian. By the way, French.
5: we we couldn't understand anything in the little jingle song they, they 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 sing in the in that. It it was quite amazing. They managed to to sell at uh, one computer with that.
0: I understood the, the, Coco the, and the, Do. The,
5: the, <laughs> yeah, the publicity <laughs> was very lame.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay, but yeah, I remember seeing the red version of the MC10 that was called the Alice, and I thought that was French, of French origin for the for the Alice computer. Not to look into that. Very cool. So yeah, so Paul, I'll get you I'll get you added, Paul. Send me a um just email me your information again because I might forget. Um and yeah, so and so Paul, Paul Fiscarelli, who's with us right now, Fiscap, um, he's the guy who also responded to one of my um basic programming things where I, I created a demo and I said um I'd like to see somebody else send me their version of this demo. So he sent me a virtual floppy disk by email, and so I've gotten a few kind of community contributions to my programming series now too. And I think he just sent me a new one too on Ghostbusters because uh, Mark John Mark Mobley sent me the Ghostbusters demo that Bob Swagger had converted from a PDF document to an OCR to whatever and stuff like that. So it was a cool little story and how that got translated back to the Coco talking about modern technology. And so, yeah, it's kind of cool. When I started doing this programming and basic thing a year and a half ago, I was doing it for me. I was doing it as a tutorial for somebody who's maybe never done it before. And I, and I thought at the time, you know, maybe some kids might want want to watch this and um, maybe I'll inspire some kids like I was inspired and it turns out I'm getting more responses from adults which is fine you know whoever wants to watch it it's fine and now I'm getting um, programming samples sent to me too which is great and then because we can do it on an emulator now you know if somebody wants to email me a disc image it's kind of cool to have other people show me what they're doing and for me to show that off to everybody else as well like look what you can do too you know it's just it's pretty cool it's been a fun little journey that I'm I'm and so another reason why I was asking about motivation is that like right now before I record a new chapter, I have in my mind how I want to make these Cocoa fonts. And so I want to do this little project where I can do all the fonts. But again, now we're getting into the work. I have to sit here and plot them all out onto graph paper, or I was going to do a spreadsheet and plot them all out. And then I have to convert that into draw statements. But it's going to, it's like a little mini project to make this little routine that I'm going to use. And so it's like, I haven't stopped thinking about it, but I haven't actually started doing it. And so now that is slowing down the progress on me Continuing my project on making more programming videos, so I just don't know if this is something that other people who program run into as well. Is this getting stuck in your own headspace sometimes, or yes? No, that
1: that does happen. Yes, and then there's other things too, like real life starts interfering too. Yeah, where you you go off your project for a month or two, like I just did with mine. You know, being busy with work, and now it's like. I finally got some time off and get back to the project, but I also finally got some time off, so I'd like to just rest and like, veg
5: out watching TV or something. So, Mm, (laughs) sometimes that that kick to get you back in is hard. Yeah, Yeah. it's like I said. When you spend your day working on a computer, uh, maybe you don't want to spend your weekend programming a game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. What I actually did is I took my whole little setup. My whole setup is in VCC and it's a very small folder. I've stuck that in my Google Drive now. So it synchronizes and I can run it in my laptop. Uh, so like sometimes I because I teach at night, if I get in early, I can just open up my laptop and maybe work on things too and do some prep work and everything. So I've kind of um, cloud synchronized my whole little programming project now. So it makes it a little bit easier for me to do uh, from anywhere. And I'm even open to sharing that Google Drive with anybody else who wants to collaborate and send me, and so instead of even having to email me a disk image, if you just want to drop it in the Google Drive and we can work on projects together we can do stuff like that too
5: Nice, um, nice. Oh, Steve uh, you know, uh, we, we asked a question uh, we asked a question earlier about what, what happened in France, well I have found some uh, very interesting information uh, there was a series of computer built by Thompson okay. from 1980, 1982 to 1986 or seven uh, 89 actually and these series of computers were uh, using guess guess which comp, which processor was was used
0: the 6309. No, the... Uh,
5: 68, the 6809.
0: Okay, 6809. So
5: 6809. They, they have this series of computers which were very, very uh, popular, and the uh, graphics levels are uh, a bit similar to the Cocoa Tree. Okay. So uh, uh, maybe it, well, it would be a good idea to uh, try, try to reach out to uh, you know other communities around the uh, Thomson uh, series in France, or the uh, FM7 in Japan. Trying to see, you know, we're all uh, brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we are in the sixteen sixty eight oh nine Brotherhood or something. <laughs> trying to see, uh, is there a community? Uh, is, it, is this alive and kicking?
0: What was it? What was the Japanese one?
5: Uh, FM7. FM7. I think, yeah. yeah, fidgets so use the F, I think. M. The Thompson M series in France and the uh, FM the FM7 in Japan, for example, which are uh, very good uh, computers based on the 6809.
3: Somebody asked recently about the FM7 on Facebook, I think it was, I guess the processors, the graphics are actually exchanged through some sort of communication tunnel.
5: Yeah, well, the uh, the graph, you know, the concept of uh, graphics aperture, which was used also on the VGA card on the PC. Uh, you have a, a little window in RAM uh, used for uh, communicating with the uh, video card. Uh, to to transfer pixels, and this little window is actually smaller than uh, the screen. So you have to move this window, and it makes the performance, uh, well, it has an impact on performance, because you you can't write over the whole uh, video uh, screen. Uh, You can't write a diagonal line in uh, one one shot you have to plan it in advance so uh, i had this problem with, uh, when i was programming on the pc uh, trying to do uh, some uh, super vga graphics uh, there was this the same concept of aperture it was a pain in the ass uh, the, also the uh, fm uh, the fm7 could display eight colors so the graph the the resolution was as good as a cocoa tree, but you had a fixed palette of eight colors. So uh, there was a severe trade-off there, I guess. Uh, you couldn't design all the uh, fancy colorful games that you could on a cocoa. So really, the computer is much faster because it's dual processor, but uh, it's more uh, primitive than the cocoa tree it was mm. launched uh, earlier in time at the time where uh, the concepts of palette were uh, seldom used on personal computers and eight colors looked like it was like super cool at the time
0: yeah but, uh,
5: uh, in 1986 or 7 it was already a bit yeah dated so i don't know how much we should, like, be amazed at the FM7. I'm still trying to find some uh, demonstrations online, an uh, emulator, or at least a video showing what it was able to do. And There are some videos not, on YouTube for games, the FM7. Uh, are there games running on this computer or only uh, static images?
1: There were some games I remember seeing a few on YouTube. I don't know if they're still there, and I'll see if I can find them. That's that would
5: cool. be nice to you know to compare, and I'll try to find some demonstrations of the Thomson series. I knew about this computer, you know, the French one. I knew about this computer, but I, I, I never realized it was based on the Motorola processor. I guess it makes it much more interesting for us.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have you got a link to a website?
5: There's some so interesting. Uh, so far I'm on uh, Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't tried to to find anything uh, yet but at least if, if the software is in French I'll be able to do a some kind of presentation for you guys if anybody Happy, out,
0: no. i just i just want to throw out a quick shameful plug a, and i'm gonna to have to wrap up here in a few <laughs> minutes too but if anybody's watching right now on the live stream and you have not subscribed to my channel i'm at 1599 subscribers i'm one subscriber away from 1600 subscribers so somebody help bring me over the limit and bring me to 16k like my original coco <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool yeah lots of uh, lots of cool links I out there this is and, and the great news is is that we've been talking for two almost three hours and we haven't run uh, out of lo- things lo- to talk about so i i think coco talk s- has got more life in it still still to come <laughs> <laughs>
5: steve steve look at your account now
0: look at my account now okay <laughs> uh, did you just unsubscribe from me to screw with me, Hugo? <laughs>
5: yes. yeah, just subscribe back now. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, now,
0: now I'm at sixteen okay.
4: <laughs> oh one. Okay. drop that a bit more. I can, draw, I can do that. <laughs>
0: All right. I just reached sixteen k on this broadcast. So boom, we are there. History has been made. 16K. Now I need to go through it. 64K is the next one, right? I'm going to jump right over 32. So <laughs> That's cool. All right, guys. Well, well, let's go ahead and wrap up this talk. Let's save some more talk for next week. This was definitely a lot of fun, and I I think I've mentioned this before. And I think so far, people are saying they're interested in this. Um, I'm open to also having another live talk that's not necessarily about the cocoa. That's just more generic, where we can talk about gaming and computers and technology and just more possibly modern, general interest things. And so, if there is an appetite for other live talk shows and discussion shows, um, it's turning out to be I think fun for everybody involved. I think the people up here talking or enjoying talking i think people watching are enjoying listening so um there might be room for more talks on a a wider range of topics so if that is of interest as well for those of you watching and those of you participating um leave us some comments as well glenn hewlett says i always enjoy these cocoa talks we enjoy having you glenn and we enjoy what you've been working on with pac-man and everything else so we're looking forward to more stuff um Cool. Well, on behalf of Hugo and Mark and David and Grant and Nick and Curtis and Bill and Bruce and myself, I want to thank uh, everybody for being here. James Ross just comes in and says, I've been lurking for like the past 45 minutes. Good talk. Thank you, James Ross, for being here. Um, Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, leave us some uh, suggestions and recommendations on what to talk about next week. And we'll be back and we'll do it again. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Cocoa forever all right. and uh, all that good all stuff. Right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye Thanks, all. Bye-bye. You bet. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at CocoaTalk.live, where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes, as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stro. Keep on cocoing, Cocoa forever. Have a coco day and bye bye everybody. Hey, what's going on everybody? It's me, it's Original Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, Gameplay Goodness. To get your very gameplay own goodness. Gameplay Goodness DVDs you know, gameplay featuring goodness. color computer all games right. played by gameplay the Original gameplay Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, Visit 8bit256.com yeah. you know, and grab yourself you know, a, yeah. a Coco Gaming DVD goodness. Goodness. Yeah. today. That's 8bit256.com yeah. you know, yeah. for you know, all of your goodness. Goodness yeah. goodness
3: yeah. Yeah. Gameplay Goodness needs. You know, gameplay, Guinness. This is how we
6: like to do it. Gameplay, Guinness. All right, people.